0: Indiana summer, one last adventure, back in the saddle, out with a bang. Uh, I'm not selling this, am I? (laughs) Hello and welcome to the 250, your fortnightly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, sometimes movies that aren't even on the list, and sometimes movies that are completing a fan-favorite miniseries from two years ago. I am your host Darren Mooney, and joining me for this very special Independence Day episode is the fantastic Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew?
1: I'm nice, Darren. Darren, how 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 are you? How how are you doing?
0: I'm nice. I I, I like nice. Uh, nice. We should aspire to nice. We should all aspire to be nice. And you know who else is nice? Our fantastic guest, our former co-host on the season, the Indiana summer, rejoining us for this July episode, the wonderful Tony Black. How are you, Tony?
2: I'm good, guys. It's a pleasure to be back, but I'm definitely feeling the years and the mileage
1: <laughs> since we last
3: <laughs>
0: talked
2: to Indiana Jones.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, so we are talking
1: today... Gr- grizzled and grumpy, graying, um, yep. or yep. entirely grayed. Um, I'm getting there, yeah And I'm, I'm edging
2: <laughs> further and further into constant Harrison Ford cosplay As I get older Silver Fox I was about but... to say,
0: Tony did arrive at the studio Crashing his plane <laughs> into the driveway <laughs> He has mysteriously manifested a sling on his right arm In the time yep. that we have been talking on this podcast so far When
1: Yeah, when, when someone is, is drinking too much But also has a plane You don't know how to take it <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's kind of like um, they're doing badly. They're doing really well. <laughs> One uh, of those two yeah. things.
0: Um. But yes, okay, so we are talking today about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the fifth feature film in the Indiana Jones franchise, Harrison Ford returning to the role that he originated in 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is the first film in the franchise not to be directed by Steven Spielberg, not to be produced by George Lucas. Rumor has it that this is intended to be the final film in the series, and looking at the box office results, it may well be. So to get us all warmed up... What do you mean? What?
1: <laughs> and, and I I I I'm confused. I I I guess about what kind of box office means and what good box office is and what bad <laughs> box office is. Because sometimes you talk about like movies, you know, disappointing. Um, Results where it's like, where it's like hundreds of millions of of, of dollars <laughs> is what they're earning and like where these big big movies like and and it's like oh that's disappointing, um and then it's like oh but is it is it all kind of like expectation, and where you set those expectations it,
0: part of its expectation. And it's also the budget, and it's profitability as well. The idea is that, like, you obviously want to make money on the movie. Your end goal is that you have not lost money by making a movie. Or generally what you aspire. Okay, or?
1: Or it's a scheme. Or you insure. Yeah, (laughs) it's like the producers, yeah.
0: Or it's a tax loophole uh, at Warner Brothers in the past couple of years as well. I mean, okay, we'll we'll talk maybe about the the box office a little bit later on. Let's let's kind of save that discussion for kind of later on in the podcast. But Tony, as our expert on Indiana Jones, as our guide through the first four movies, as somebody who has literally written a book on Sean Connery and therefore obviously has very strong opinions about the movies and the franchise – what were your expectations going into the Dial of Destiny?
2: Well, my expectations, for various reasons, were tempered. To be honest, I'm someone, as we know from the previous uh, recording we did on Indiana Jones, I'm someone who would defend Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I, I've been <laughs> quite, I've been quite happy to see that <laughs> I've not been alone lately. I've seen quite a bit of discourse out there where. A few people have said, it's not as bad as we remember. Yes, yeah, some of it's bad. It's not as bad, which is great.
0: Our most popular Indiana summer episode, which is quite wow. remarkable. It's the most popular episode it's, of that season.
1: It's the terrific thing about the internet is that you can find all <laughs> sorts of freaks and weirdos. <laughs> uh, yeah. Absolutely. Hey. No, but, but... The Skull <laughs> was on the 250, to be clear. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Like, um, it, it's... It, it, Sorry, I'm 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 being facetious. I have seen a lot of people <laughs> defend it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm kind of like, I I you know I I take the kind of uh, the the approach where it's like, well, they must be disingenuous because I don't agree. <laughs> that <them>. uh, <laughs> must be wrong. Must be some yeah yeah yeah. They it must be like, some sort either of, wrong or idiots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but, but it, it's some kind of exercise where it's like oh. <laughs> You think you can, you know, make a make a make an argument a about a movie yeah. Well, well make an argument for this and yeah, but based and it's like on... you do, you want to have a hot take because it has to be different <laughs> yeah, from yeah. the consensus, right? Yeah, yeah. that's he's definitely sorry, my, sorry. my my
2: hot take. My hot take is that it's not bad, <laughs> uh, but but no, based on that, based on the fact that Crystal Skull proved that you can't quite recapture what they did in the nineteen eighties. 20 years on in that case. And then based on the fact that it's not Steven Spielberg directing it, and I think there is a difference. Based on the some of the critical notices that came out of Cannes and various other places in the run-up to this that were lukewarm at best. Based on all of those factors, my expectations for Dial of Destiny were it will probably be fine. It will probably be about a three-star movie. It will probably be not much better than Crystal Skull, if any better at all. And my expectations, guys, were basically met in that regard.
0: Oh. Perfectly adequate. Yeah. That's what I we're aspiring to. W- I out. wonder,
1: like, we, we mentioned the idea of, like, trying and failing to recreate the 80s. It's like trying and failing to recreate the '80s, which is itself recreating the '50s the poor, or or um, yeah. the, the '40s. Yeah. No, but like the the yeah the the idea of that, not just of it being set in the in 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 the '40s or '50s, but also uh, the whole format is that kind of you know um,
0: uh, Alan Quartermain pulp serial exactly Republic kind of yeah yeah that, yeah. that sort of vibe. Um, Yeah, I mean, this this is the thing. Uh, Andrew, I want to get your read on this as well, because like um, what I remember of our Indiana summer was myself and Tony were really enjoying ourselves for four (laughs) weeks. And Andrew was vaguely (laughs) confused and occasionally irritated by the experience.
1: I enjoyed myself for for one (laughs) week. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes yeah. you did yes yeah. you had yeah. last crusade was andrew's time last to shine. crusade i enjoyed <laughs> um and you i were there for the tom stoppard um of it all. <laughs> and i
1: have to say i i i was here for the james mangold of it all
0: yes yes obviously mangold is the director who's stepping in Okay, let let's do this now then, because Andrew is always I did been... not
1: know that; it wasn't as obvious to me as like I did not realize it was directed by James Mangold until it came up at the end
0: of the movie. <laughs> I
1: was like, oh, maybe All that's right, why then. I liked it.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, we're playing our cards. We're putting some cards down on the table. Feel here. like
1: okay, cards have been placed. Um, they have indeed. Are you? Are you? Are you? You've got to know when to show them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got to know when to hold him. Uh, what... Okay, let, let, let's talk about the, the James Mangle of it. Let's talk about the development of it. Because obviously, immediately after Crystal Skull comes out... Is every um, movie is,
1: like this? It feels like for, <laughs> there's so many movies where it's like... Where you can't just go and make the movie. Yeah, like, I feel like the... Somebody who who's like, guess what, darling? I'm the director... Of the new Indiana Jones movie. And it's like, oh, wow. They only just made the other one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and then, like, several years later, it's like, darling, aren't aren't you directing that? (laughs) It's like, no, no. (laughs) No,
0: (laughs) things have kind of moved on a little bit since then. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously... After Crystal Skull, the plan was obviously, like, Crystal Skull was a massive financial success, as much as the internet likes to rag on it. It made something like 700, 800 million dollars worldwide, produced on a budget of 180 odd million dollars. That was enough to turn a very, very tidy profit. Jurassic World Um, did really well as well, didn't it?
1: It did better than Jurassic uh, World 3. Sorry, Jurassic Park 3.
0: Yes, and and obviously I think Jurassic World Dominion as well also got over a billion dollars. Um, yes, Proving... so again the Spielberg. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> um,
1: no. Um. Um, and it's like also like like Pooh, like a whole lot of flies. Sorry, I don't know why I'm going so hard on um, Kingdom with Crystal Skull. I re- I, re- I really didn't like. Um, the uh second one either.
0: Temple of Doom Temple was the one Doom. that you thought was a bottom 100 episode I think is how you oh, described yeah. it Pretty you much. declared it you de- yeah you declared it in episode as a bottom 100 episode which I Kinda. did not take kindly
1: Well like, like like it's it's sort of the and isn't this doesn't it feel like kind of other bottom 100 movies that we've uh, uh, and there's stuff if
0: they were directed by one of the greatest American filmmakers who ever lived. <laughs> like that's the thing about like Temple of Doom is that it is like incredibly racist. It has what can charitably be described as big divorce energy, but it is also like Made by one of the greatest living American filmmakers who is being led off the leash to you, do everything he wants to do you love Sorry. it
1: because the, for some reason little child Darren had like big divorce energy um, yeah. you were like really and I so resonate really concerned that your parents would become Kramer versus Kramer um, <laughs>
0: And so, like, Temple of Doom was my way of working through that. I love, by the way, that I've literally just opened the dossier on the notes <laughs> of Dial of Destiny, and we're already re-legislating the entire Indiana summer. Um okay so crystal skull comes out (laughs) let's not get into a debate about the perceived quality of that movie all right regardless of quality it opens it surprisingly again we talked about it Opened to positive reviews it placed on the imdb 250 it earned somewhere between 700 and 800 million dollars worldwide which was a phenomenal amount of money before it became codified that movies had to gross over a billion dollars to be deemed quote-unquote successful um pre-pandemic right shockingly yes in 2008 it was no no what yes. what, what oh.
1: i mean is that expectation that everything now has to make a billion dollars I, f- I feel like the pandemic has uh, affected that somewhat
0: no i don't know that it has this is a separate discussion to sorry have, box sorry, office no. in general but the I, I, I think it has affected the reality Keep of it. that train
1: on the rail start. Yeah. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am. I'm trying to get this loot all the way across <laughs> yeah. Europe and, and Andrew I, is like dancing I'm, across the roof of the train I'm a, I'm, in a like a bloodstained jacket. Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm
1: I'm 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 the Nazis. Or sorry. No, I'm, 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 I'm Indiana Jones in this and you're the yeah, Nazi.
0: Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Which I, I appreciate the metaphor. Thank you. You're for trying
1: pointing. to get where you're going, which is to I, I am.
0: I'm trying to literally make the train run on time because this is a movie that is very subtle in its metaphors. Um, so, okay. Um, The billion dollar expectation thing. We will inception back up through the levels here. The billion dollar expectation thing, I think the reality of that um, is that it is a lot harder to reach a billion dollars now than it was several years ago. I also think that that perception was inflated by the fact that 2019 was a phenomenal year just in general in terms of box office, where you had like something like eight or nine movies cross the billion dollar threshold within a single year, including movies like Joker, uh, The Lion King. Uh, rise of skywalker all that sort of stuff like captain marvel got across the line big, uh, in that year
1: big year for disney and um, it was
0: yeah. disney earned more money that year than any studio had ever earned in any year um and also the box office was bigger than any box office year on record so like the and obviously that came right before the pandemic the pandemic obviously changed expectations uh, it diminished or decimated this the, the cinema going audience you would imagine that it would reset expectations so people would no longer expect these movies to earn a billion dollars uh, worldwide and in fact like one of the big issues with say the marvel studios is where like there's this narrative we've talked about where marvel studios are quote unquote in decline because none of their movies are making a billion dollars worldwide at the, the only box movie office right like how yeah, yeah, how how, how
1: much office. money is disney plus make? And how many of their yeah, customers there's... are just choosing not to go to the cinema?
0: But also also Disney Plus is a gigantic money pit that has cost Disney uh, billions of <laughs> dollars and forced them to fire seven thousand employees. Um like no streaming service is making money except Netflix at the moment, and Netflix may is making money because it made losses for the better part of a decade. Um but basically yes, so so the, you're not worried the idea amortization <laughs> is 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 that the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, but i I can't get into an accounting
0: (laughs) mindset here um but yeah like that's why content is disappearing from like paramount plus disney plus um hbo like they're taking all these shows and content off because it actually costs money to keep it on there and they get tax write-offs if they just remove them from circulation entirely or try and sell them to outside parties that is a streaming problem we're not talking about (laughs) streaming we're talking about box office okay are we we're talking about
1: paramount paramount plus the the tomb of star trek
0: (laughs) 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 pretty much again don't (laughs) <laughs> they they cancelled Prodigy. They have removed an entire Star Trek show from Paramount Plus in the past couple of weeks to give a sense of how insane this situation is. A, a streaming service that sold itself as the home of quote-unquote all Star Trek has not only cancelled one of the new shows, but removed earlier episodes from the service. But we are not talking about streaming. We are talking <laughs> about box office. And we will get back to, template, to Dial of Destiny in a moment. But this is kind of relevant in terms of its performance. The billion dollar mark, uh, theoretically, harder to reach now should no longer be treated as a metric of a movie's success. The only problem is that several movies since the pandemic have hit that mark. Uh, The big ones obviously being like Spider-Man No Way Home, which is a Sony co-production. It is the only Marvel movie to gross over a billion dollars. It nearly grossed $2 billion. Uh, Movies like, say, Top Gun Maverick last year and Avatar uh, The Way of Water last year as well. So there is a sense that studio executives believe that the, the billion dollar mark is still reachable. And you have them kind of straining to reach it, where yep. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness made something like $950 million, um, and Ant-Man and the Wasp kind of, like, got huge push behind it and end up only grossing $475 million. Um, it, is,
1: it is cool, a billion dollars, as opposed to <laughs> a million yeah. dollars. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But... That, and Okay, fine. Since I guess we're talking about box office, we will pull back to Dial of Destiny. You asked why Dial of Destiny's opening box office is, quote-unquote, disappointing. Why it's being reported as a financial failure. And the issue is that this movie cost $295 million to make. Therefore... By the logic of like Hollywood accounting, where to factor in like the cost of advertising, the cost of digital prints, the cost of publicity, marketing, the split that you have with studios, the split that you have with cinemas. Harrison
1: Ford himself isn't cheap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
0: well yeah we'll, we'll, famously we'll talk about-
1: like is there are certain figures which are below his dignity <laughs>
0: <laughs> um 100 million dollars um but like that that's why this movie costs like 120 million dollars more than kingdom of the crystal skull um we'll maybe get into why it costs as much as it did in a moment but basically because it costs nearly 300 million dollars to make it has to basically hit a billion dollars in order to be, to break even. Like, not to turn a profit, but to break even. And that is kind of a situation where Hollywood is in at the moment, where, as you said, post pandemic, realistically, the billion dollar mark is less attainable than it was before the pandemic. And even before the pandemic, like a confluence of circumstances made it easier to hit. Now you have it being near impossible to hit. But also studios spending absurd amounts of money trying to hit it. Where, like, for example, the big one is The Flash costs $220 million, which is, frankly, inexcusable. The idea that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the third movie in a franchise starring Paul Rudd about a hero who can shrink, needs to make $600 million before it breaks even. Which is a frankly insane state of affairs in in modern Hollywood. But Tony, do you have any thoughts on this before we even start talking about Dial of Destiny? Because we're talking about box office, modern Hollywood, and Dial of Destiny's place in it. Do you have any thoughts? Well,
2: on this? I think really the the part of the reason why I think it, it was it was a bit of a fool's errand thinking that Indiana Jones was was going to make a billion dollars now is it's a com- it's a complex amount of reasons i suspect i think the the biggest one is that i don't think many people under the age of maybe 30 at an absolute push really will care much about this film i don't really think they will have much of a grounding in harrison ford as a leading star necessarily beyond perhaps his return in the force awakens I don't think really there is there is going to be an appetite amongst the kind of di- demographic who predominantly still go to the cinema even though I think that core youth group is shrinking nowadays is is really that interested in this so I think that's partly one of the reasons but the but also it's it's the fact that people just can't afford to spend money going to the movies in the same way as they used to these days I think you ha- unless you have like a limitless style card where you pay—I don't know—fifteen quid a month, and you get to go you as many times as you like.
1: Pill and Robert De Niro chases after you. <laughs> and and like, give me that. <laughs> and give me that tells pill. You not
0: to make the classic movie-going mistake of going to all the right, movies. All the movies.
2: <laughs> Unless you have that, I feel like that it's prohibitively expensive. So people, I think, are being a bit more choosy now about precisely what kind of movies they're going to watch. So I think, really, you factor in a lot of these aspects. Indiana Jones, in theory, should be the kind of movie that would get that kind of money. But I think the world has changed. I think the world has moved on. I think this should have probably been made some years ago, realistically. And, you know, you could make the same argument for Crystal Skull, for other reasons, potentially, as well. But I think that's partly why the expectations for this i think have completely been out of proportion with the reality of what a film like this was going to do at this point in
0: time i think that about sums it up i mean historically the target demographic for cinemas has always been the kind of 18 to 34 year olds and typically skewing younger within that because at that age you have a lot of disposable income you don't really have a lot of commitments and what else are you going to do with your free time apart from go to the cinema that's the way it has always been that's always been the kind of target demographic And I think that, like, as you get older, you obviously age out. And that's a problem for franchises like, say, the MCU, where if you were, like, going to Iron Man on your first date in 2008, odds are by the time, like, Wakanda Forever comes out, you're married, you have a kid, you're paying a mortgage, you're paying off two cars, you're struggling to figure out where your kid's going to go to school. You don't necessarily have the time or the money to go and see these films. And where Hollywood has an existential crisis at the moment is that, like, the attendance from that young demographic, particularly on blockbusters, is way down kids in that 18 to 34-year-old range are no longer going to see these big tentpole franchise films in the way that they used to. And, like, I, I read a lot of box office analysts and they're making observations about, oh, it, it, it's obviously, it's it's TikTok or it's phones. The kids aren't going to these movies because Hollywood can't compete. And the argument there is it's the same argument that they were made about, like, television in the 1950s and cinemas and movies survived that, so I suspect they'll be okay here. Yeah, But I think it also under, overlooks the fact that, you know kids do turn out. When you make a property that appeals to the nostalgia of an 18 to a 34-year-old, they will go and see it. Spider-Man No Way Home, for example, is like, you've got the McGuire movies, you've got the Garfield movies, all of those speak to kids within that age range going to see something that they remember seeing yeah even more recently uh despicable me three rise of groove for example you had like the whole gentle minions trend which was perfectly like mm-hmm. in the sweet spot for something those millennials remembered seeing when they were kids so they'll turn out and they'll go and see nostalgia for it whereas on the other hand like why do you think why would kids have nostalgia for michael keaton's batman this ca- this guy who played batman 20 years before he was born you know no, why would it- they have nostalgia for you know, Indiana Jones, a character who arguably made his last good movie, so to speak, you know, a decade or two before these kids were born. Why would they have any emotional investment and why would they turn out and go and see it? Because these are kids who are they are still going to see things. They are still powering movies to box office success, even outside of like No Way Home or Rise of Gru. Smile and Scream 6 massively overperform with regards to those young cinema goers they're just not going to movies like these and I don't think it's a mystery why that is as Tony pointed out why would they care about this sorry I I know like this is normally the point at which uh, in the conversation Andrew's eyes begin to glaze over and he has no interest in what we're saying I don't feel so bad about it now because Andrew was the one who like cracked open the Ark of the Covenant and kind of set this conversation (laughs) in motion so I don't feel too bad about like diving well into this the weeds in terms no, of it, like where hollywood's box office is and why these movies are in the states that no, they are
1: it, it confuses me it's it's like you 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 say that a movie is is like successful or not not based on kind of you know as as in we're we're like looking at the profit margin and it seems like <laughs> such a strange kind of a a a, a metric for a cinema goer we're <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. I've heard the well, studio the didn't we're make that about... much money on it. <laughs> um, well, we're not. We're not. You know. Okay, we're not doing oh, We're, okay. we're, we're, we're not about the quality. No, but it, but it, but it it translates. You know, you, you you say like um like disastrous opening weekend for um tile of destiny. It's like, oh, I, that's going to discourage people from going to see it. You know okay. that that, it, that it's a. um uh it's 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 a kind of a um it 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 does kind of tend to imply some sort of quality judgment and i i, 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 know. I know that the that are that your own kind of judgments of quality are separate from you know discussions of its financial performance but it, it it's it's like it, it the it's not it's weird it, it i like i feel like what i'm trying to say is that it's not the movie's fault that it costs that much money no no mm-hmm. all right well okay i think i think it, I think it is I mean? the
0: movie's fault it costs that much money We'll come but, back to and
1: that. i i understood i understand that like before i said it and while saying <laughs> it but but do you know what i mean as as in like i, I, a, 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 I know it it it, fe- it feels like it gets into a different conversation which is like not talking about and I kind of want to have that conversation to to a point as well when I feel like a movie is terrible where I'm like oh this is this is such an awful waste of 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 money but where resources we're,
0: and talent yeah
1: yeah exactly where where it's like oh they um but I feel, I'd feel the same way if if it did particularly well <laughs> I would still think like um you know the what a what a waste of money Like, why don't they make something good with all that money? And people are also stupid. Well, um, I,
0: th- I think you've, you've made the case before that movies shouldn't exist. Just financially, <laughs> movies are an unjustifiable proposition. I think it's been your argument on this podcast, which is why we why we love you. It's your role in this dynamic to look at things and go, why would you make this? Why, why does this economy make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> why ever um,
1: make movies? Yeah.
0: <laughs> why, would, why would you ever do it? Um, even when the result is great and transcendental, you're like, it still seems like a lot of work.
1: How did uh, Blade Runner do? Because I, I, I think
0: maybe that's a different... Blade Runner 2045? Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner 2049? 2049, 2049 that, that, yeah. That also underperformed significantly as well. Yeah. Because um, they, they, they,
1: like I, I feel like... It cost like a lot
0: less, but it also underperformed, yes.
1: We had varying kind of opinions about that movie, but I feel like generally we quite liked it. Right? Yes. Are, are we accepted whether we liked it or not? We, we was- did.
0: We... we we liked it. Yeah. We, our guest maybe had stronger opinions otherwise, but yes, we liked it.
1: Yeah, so is it just that they're they're creating the wrong kind of nostalgia and that there needs to be like an iCarly or whatever the, <laughs> what the, <laughs> whatever that, these kids watched like what, five that, or ten years ago?
0: That's the question. That's the thing for Tony I want to throw out here, which is that question of like nostalgia and the nostalgia golden zone because like the, the big story before Dial of Destiny underperforming was The Flash underperforming. And it's very notable Mm. that both Indiana Jones and The Flash came in around the same box office total, both domestically and worldwide, in their opening weekends. They also garnered close enough in terms of cinema score where, like, Flash got a B, this got a B-plus from American audiences as well. And there is that question of, like, has Hollywood kind of, like, has the nostalgia cycle slipped past Hollywood? Where those are bringing back stars from 80s blockbusters. And again, notable that Batman and The Last Crusade were two movies that went head-to-head and were the biggest movies of 1989 at the domestic and global box office, respectively. And now you have an ironic situation where Indiana Jones and Michael Keaton's Batman are in the race for, like, the greatest loss suffered by an American studio in the summer of 2023. Um, And, like... Is there a sense that like fast, they're they're too late? I'm sorry, Fast Ten, fast Fast Ten is prof Fast Ten won't, maybe won't make a profit, but it's gonna make a lot more than either of these two movies. Right, Fast Ten is in a bizarre situation where it will make seven hundred, eight hundred million dollars worldwide, but wasn't and will it, not break even. Yeah, it, it costs as much as this. It costs three hundred million dollars.
1: I, I I think there's people who think that it, actually it might have been the most expensive movie ever made. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And this is in the this is like the second or third most expensive movie ever made, right? I mean, I um, I love that our every conversation we have is come back to Fast X. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> <laughs> I
2: understand. I understand though why you would throw money to some extent at Fast X to capture a demographic. I mean, I've had, I, I work in a school, and I can gar- I can guarantee you, I've had multiple 13, 14, 15 year olds ta- asking me, "Sir, are you going to go and see Fast X?" Are you gonna say they're gonna see Fast and Furious? They're interested in that. I, I have never heard anyone <laughs> younger <laughs> younger than some of the some of the uh, maybe the if we're lucky twenties thir- teachers say, oh, Indiana Jones is coming. It just doesn't happen. Like they are not interested. I I I know I know I am generalizing there will be some who will be. But they they grew their parents are the now are the ones who grew up in the eighties, not or the nineties, not them. Yeah. You know, they're they're touchstones. I think this is why Spider-Man No Way Home did so well, because it did bring in nostalgic elements for that demographic now. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man.
0: Is a 2000s and is a 2010s. Yeah, yeah. those are within living memory for those And that made what? Uh A billion and something, you know? 1.8 billion. Right, there you go. That says it all. Are filmmakers
1: making a mistake in making movies for themselves?
0: That is a question. As in, like, are they assuming they, that the target demographic is the executives greenlighting it? Yeah. That, like yeah. the studio executive who's like, you know like, what, the kids love Indiana Jones because I love Indiana Jones.
1: Like, I'm sure, like, like the... Um, I was about to say Vince Vaughn. Not Vince Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, other, the other guy from Made... Um, John Favreau. John Favreau. Is, is like, uh, Favreau <laughs> and, like, Filoni and people like that are presumably, like, it's just a dream come true for them. And getting to make the kind of movies and TV shows that they're making, but is uh, like, and and they probably are quite successful at that. But that that's a kind of a model that maybe you see across Hollywood. And I think like like eventually, you know, if 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 James Gunn keeps making good movies, <laughs> then I think he'll be okay. But like when when he was announcing all of these DC things uh, <laughs> that he was going to make over the next few Creature
0: years.
1: I, yeah, I was just like, I can see that you're really, really into this. <laughs> but, um, like, I have no clue what you're talking about <laughs> at, at, at all, you know?
0: Well, I mean, the thing is, I think you may be onto something there where, like... The age of the people making these decisions, and again, this is just a broader comment. And I'm an
1: old dude, by the way. <laughs> you are absolutely. We are all old dudes.
0: Yeah. Um, that's the thing. But like the people who are making these decisions are like in their 50s or in their 60s. Like James Mangold, right? Who is inheriting the mantle of Steven Spielberg making Indiana Jones the Dial of Destiny. He's still a 60 year old guy. Mm. John Favreau, who you, he's, sorry, he's 59. Apologies to James Mangold. Um, but like John Favreau, who we talked about there, who was a dynamic young filmmaker in the 1990s doing movies like Maid and Swingers, he is now in his mid-50s and he's taking care of Star Wars, that sort of thing. Even Dave Filoni, who was meant to be this kind of like fresh and exciting animated voice, he's 49 years old. Like there is a sense that like the people who are making these movies are kind of maybe indulging their own nostalgia rather than a nostalgia that reflects the audience. And I think there's probably something to be said for the fact that like we don't really have that many young directors coming up like them anymore. Like, it's it's very telling that, like, so many of the modern wave of blockbuster or studio or kind of, like, creative voices... Are like people who emerge from in the late nineteen nineties. Christopher Nolan, you know, following nineteen ninety-nine, Wes Anderson with Bottle Rocket in nineteen ninety what 6, 90 whatever it was. Like Quentin Tarantino is still seen as being like a defining voice in in modern cinema. Mangold himself, like premiered, was it heavy in nineteen ninety five? There is a sense that like we don't really have a generation after that in terms of like influence or impact. Would that be like, the likes you know, of Josh Shank...
1: Like- Ryan um, Coogler, uh, like yes, yeah, and that sort of.
0: And Co- but Coogler's not quite there yet. Is the thing? Coogler's still doing. He's 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 doing Black Panther, but like I don't think Wakanda Forever feels entirely Coogler-esque if that makes sense. No, um,
1: it doesn't. It. I. I mean, did um,
0: obviously, yeah. The, the, the Chadwick Boseman situation is outside of his control and all that. Give but,
1: yeah. Give Boots Riley, <laughs> like, <laughs> like let, a franchise. Let him loose. Yeah. yeah <laughs>
0: Um, um but yeah i i kind of i do i do kind of have that sort of feeling and yeah tony I, th- I think you're onto something there where there is that sense of who is nostalgic for michael keaton's batman and like harrison ford's indiana jones i mean theoretically the target demographic is i'm guessing us yeah um, not to date us or to age us oh yeah but it does feel like those are things aimed squarely at people like me and i i'm gonna be frank i I don't really, I don't feel enthusiasm for those things in the way that they seem to expect me to, which is is disconcerting. Um, but anyway, sorry, we will we'll get back. So we will inception all the way back up to the development history of this movie. Um, so I believe I was on the first line of that, which was <laughs> after the release of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You'll get to it um, so, eventually. We will we'll circle back around. <laughs> But um, much like the villains in this movie, we will get to Hitler eventually. (laughs) Um, That train is on the track. But basically, so yeah, after the race of Kingdom Crystal Skull, uh, there's immediately announced plans for a sequel or follow-up. And apparently George Lucas is very excited and very enthusiastic about it. Ford, again, very eager to play Indy. Uh, we've mentioned this before. Like, it's really interesting that Ford seems to actively hate Han Solo, but seems to adore the character of Indiana Jones. And it often feels like yeah. Ford is a large part of the reason why Crystal Skull happens and a large part of the reason why Dial of Destiny happens. But there is a sense that as time goes on as the internet reception to crystal skull kind of sours we have talked about spielberg uh, being a director who's always seemed very sensitive to how he is perceived and how the audience relates to him it kind of drops down the list of priorities and you know first of all i believe lucas drops out lucas says he's not going to be an active producer of the movie then sometime around like 2019 2020 after several years of just pushing pushing, pushing the project down the line, Spielberg kind of throws up his hands and says, look, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, At that point, David Kep, who had been screenwriter on King of the Crystal Skull, who had been writing scripts uh, for the untitled Fifth Indiana Jones movie, and who retains the screenwriting credit on Dial of Destiny, also kind of throws up his hands and says, look, if Spielberg's not doing this, I'm a writer who writes to Spielberg. Uh, I'm not going to continue writing past this because I feel like it would be a disservice to whoever takes over. Then Mangold is hired, and around this time you have the discussion that's taking place at Lucasfilm following the reception to um, Star Wars, or Solo A Star Wars Story, which famously had Alden Ehrenreich recast in the role of Han Solo. And Kathleen Kennedy's big argument is that like the reason that movie failed was because they recast an iconic uh, Harrison Ford role and they are not going to look to do that going forward. There's a discussion to be had about maybe taking the wrong lesson from that movie, but that is what Lucasfilm decide that they're going to do. And she basically says, what we want is we want to be in the Harrison Ford business. We want to get this movie made. And so they turn to James Mangold. Uh, Mangold, who is a reliable set of hands, and look Andrew has said we need to play more games on this podcast let's play yes yeah and uh, sorry Tony Andrew and Andrew gets very excited about this. <laughs> We're gonna play a game Ooh.
1: i've 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 realized from like playing and listening to these is that I'm a very
0: bad loser,
1: so I'm gonna try and be <laughs> better at that <laughs> oh
0: or you can try winning either of those two things (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) darren I'm really testing you Um, okay so the way that this works Tony is we're going to take a filmmaker who this week is going to be James Mangold the director Mm. of Dial of Destiny Mm. over his career he has made 12 feature films Four of those feature films have been on the 250. I'm going to go back and forth between the two of you. Whoever can get more of those movies wins. So one at a time, back and forth. Now be careful, Tony. Andrew gets very competitive about this. <laughs> As the guest, you get the advantage. You get to go first. So to set this up, he has two movies currently on the list. And two movies that have been on but dropped off. So, Tony, can you give me one of those four movies?
2: I'm going to go with Logan.
0: That is correct. Logan is still on the 250 with a high okay. rank of 36. Good answer. Now in the low, now in the low 200s. Good answer. Uh oh. I can see Andrew's Andrew's good winning streak is continuing here. Andrew's like <laughs> beat, uh, enthusiastic, sport. so Andrew, over to you. So three movies, one of them is still on the list, two of them have dropped off.
1: I am um, I. Uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, yeah, Ford versus Ferrari.
0: Good hustle. Okay, we are one for mm, one. Good shape. Okay. Now things get interesting. <laughs> All right, Tony, back to you. Of the remaining 10 films in Mangold's filmography, which one of two do you think has been on the list but has dropped off?
2: I'm going to take a swing, and I'm going to say Copland.
1: Oh, I was going to say Copland!
0: <laughs> well, that's bad news for one of you. <laughs> Bad news for Tony, I'm afraid oh. it was never on the list. Right.
1: Oh my gosh, you've saved Andrew, me, Andrew.
0: The ball is in your court.
1: <laughs> I I don't think I can adequately um, kind of uh, take advantage of this, um, but I will try. You, know, you didn't
0: know that James Mangold directed this movie, <laughs> <it was laughs> <over. Yeah. laughs>
1: exactly. And I'm I'm I I believe you've already said that this movie um is not on on the on the, <laughs> the IMDB two fifty. Um I'm going to um perhaps lose the game and say although <laughs> I will I will get to guess again if uh, yes, it's Yes, no yeah. matter what. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um I'm gonna say heavy. <laughs>
0: Heavy is the wrong answer. Did you just literally guess Heavy because it's the only other James Mangold movie I've mentioned? (laughs) Yes. Yes, that is right. (laughs) Well observed. All right, back to you. We are one for one. Two left to play for Tony. Bring it home. Oh, I've got two films that...
2: Well, actually, three films. The question is, which one (laughs) do I go for? Uh, I'm going to
1: say... Say them out loud. <laughs> think, <laughs> think you need to think through your answer. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew reaches for a pen and paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I,
0: I'm not falling for that one. I'm going to go for
2: um, walk the line.
0: Oh. That is correct. Hey. well played, well played,
1: Tony. That's very good. Right. So that the only very good. the only way I can draw. Is by by giving a correct answer, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Tony basically has one. The only question is if he shares his glory. Oh, fortune and glory,
2: Andy.
1: Fortune and glory. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm going <laughs> to. Damn it. <laughs> I, really, I really don't have a clue. um Do you know any
0: other James Mangold movies?
1: I don't think I do. I. I mean, I. I do and I don't. As in, like when you say it, I'm going to kick myself. But I don't know well enough to have it at the top of my at, at the tip of my tongue.
0: Okay. Do you want me to run through his movies from top to bottom in chronologically? Oh, I don't think that would be fair, <laughs> Tony. Tony, will you object if I do a run through just to bring Andrew up to speed? No, Not at all. Because in in the past there've been instances where Andrew has accused me of being unfairly generous to a guest. So I'm I'm going to savor this moment. Where
1: here. where you will give hints to them? Yeah.
0: Because yeah. <laughs> it's good radio, Andrew. It's good radio. All right. All right. Okay. All right. So
1: yeah. And if I don't if I don't get it out of this, it's it and it's over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And
0: I lose. That said, I do. I do kind of want to throw back to Tony and give it a chance of going four two. But we'll. We'll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, nineteen ninety five heavy, not on the list. Nineteen ninety seven Copland, also not on the list. Nineteen ninety nine Girl Interrupted, two thousand and one. Uh, of course. Kate and Leopold, two thousand and three identity I'm going to stop
1: you darren girl interrupted i was going to I was going to make like some sort of girl interrupted reference, but then I forgot that he he made that movie. <laughs> I was thinking yesterday I was like Oh, I should I should make some sort of girl interrupted thing, but I don't know
0: what it's going to be. <laughs> well, you you did interrupt this girl I, talking right I did, now, so yeah. Are you are you putting your marker down on girl interrupted?
1: I am, I am. I think that's the courageous thing to do is to 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 go to turn, not even
0: let me finish go, the list. Go green,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, okay. Andrew, you are wrong.
1: oh wow i'm 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 glad i went out this way
0: Uh. (laughs) Um, now tony you've already won do you want to go for a victory lap i do i do okay all right all right so lay it on me what what do you think the other movie of james Mangles that has been on the 250 but isn't anymore is
2: i'm gonna go for it's between two
0: Okay. Well, you can say them out loud now because you've won. So, okay. which two do you think?
2: So it's. From, I think, it, and I might be wrong. There could be another outlier here, but I think it's between three ten to Yuma and the Wolverine. Okay. So, I'm. I'm gonna go for. Since I already said Logan, I'm. I'm not. I'm gonna go for three ten to Yuma. That's my guess.
0: It's a three-one victory. It's a wipeout. Well done, Tony. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> job. Wow. Okay. We are throwing you a ticker tape parade through New York. I'm hoping that no neo Nazis interrupted uh, through Glasgow, (laughs) designed to look like New York. But yeah, congratulations. Yeah, so that is that is James Mangold's. Where all the bagpipes came from? (laughs) It's like why are there bagpipes?
1: (laughs) Um, It's like play. But yeah, so Mangold
2: jubilant band music. That's a good game. That's a that's a really. That is a really fun game. I might, I, with with permission, I might have to steal this game for something yeah, go for it. because it is that. That was a lot of fun. I like it
0: there, there's a level of do you know this director's filmography and do you know the IMDb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a clever double bluffy kind of game, yeah. which I like. But so Mangold, it is a good game. Mangold comes in, he basically throws out the script or throws out the, the bones of the script, everything but the bones of the script, brings in Jez Butterworth and John Henry Butterworth, who worked with him on Ford versus Ferrari, and reinvents the movie from the ground up. Ford at this stage is, you know, approaching, when he's filming this, he is 78 and 79 years old. Uh, he's playing at this point at which this movie is set, Indy is 70 years old as well. Um, and yeah, this is seen as being like... one it's eighty
1: now, isn't it? Ford
0: is 80. Yeah. yeah. He's turning 81 soon, I believe, as well. But yeah, this is seen as being the last hurrah for Indiana Jones. As Tony mentions, uh, is worth noting just very briefly the film's publicity cycle, which has maybe not been handled with all the delicacy and care that one might have hoped. It premieres at Cannes. In May 2023. The expectation from Disney is that this is going to play like Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick went there last year. Tom Cruise as the crowned king or unelected president of Hollywood. It is greeted with rapturous applause, critical acclaim, and buys it publicity that helps kind of get it over the one billion mark of the box office. It creates a momentum, a runway, if you will, for that movie to kind of like arrive in cinemas Uh, to rapturous applause. The expectation is that Dial of Destiny will do the same thing. Unfortunately, uh, it does not. It kind of crash lands, much like Harrison Ford's plane, uh, when critics react to it somewhat negatively. Around the same time, Pixar's Elemental also has a negative reaction at Cannes. It's generally seen as a big publicity boo-boo. It's one of the reasons why The movie perhaps underperformed is because so much of the press leading up to the movie's release was just circulating the reports from critics at Cannes who didn't necessarily like it. We'll maybe talk about that reaction when we get into the Splorer Zone. Okay, three questions to get us started. So Tony, do you think Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made?
2: I'm not sure it's one of the 250 greatest movies made this year. Um, I, wow that, that's harsh adequate that, um, that, that's harsh maybe the decade let's say the decade um <laughs> i <laughs> and we're three years in that's still quite harsh um yeah. I, <laughs> I i no i don't no and and, and i i'm pretty sure i said I, I didn't put crystal skull on that list either as much as i think crystal skull is a better film than this uh because i do to be honest um, Not by a vast margin, but by a little margin. So by that logic, no. This film is... I'm going to put it out there. I do think right now, and this might change, and I am not a fixed entity in any way, but right now, this for me is the poorest Indiana Jones movie.
1: Wow.
0: Okay. I, I love that you, you've beaten Andrew at his own game, and now, now you're showboating. Now you're just kind of down. <laughs> like, I, I, I respect it, Tony. I respect it. Just going it. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, okay. So, Andrew, what about yourself? Well, well first of all, what were your expectations going into it? Because I think when we were covering this, when we were throwing out the idea that we would have to round out our Indiana in summer because listeners demanded it, and they did, there was kind of a sense of, one might call it reluctance from you. Um, I, I think, when I was I, like
1: I think it was is it that well
0: i I mean I
1: think I might have asked like why <laughs> why do we why do we yeah, have to yeah, do I, that but uh,
0: but I, uh, I think the four words that escaped your lists were do we have to yes
1: yeah do we yeah. do we have to but I think as soon as you like maybe spoke like one sentence like it didn't matter with the next thing that you said <laughs> i', I d- uh i am just so resigned now to you know kind of like uh taking on these things, you know whether I, I like to or not i yeah and and then it moved from kind of you know um disapproval to 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 apathy um and to the point that I never again thought about um, us doing this movie until like, was it yesterday? Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: Saturday morning when I... Like, or it was Saturday
1: I, morning where, it, uh, yeah, you, you were asking, um, what? how did it come up, actually?
0: I, we have recently had an incident where I had thought I mentioned to you that we were recording on Thursday and then text you on Wednesday and you're like, what? So I was like, okay, from here on out, I'm going to make a point at the start of the week to just check in and make sure that we all fully agree and understand what we were talking about. Yeah, So I was like, so are you good to go on? Are you good to talk on Monday evening about Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny? (laughs) And you were like, oh yeah, I need to watch Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny.
1: I I see the text now. It says... Oh, just checking you are good for Dial of Destiny on Monday evening. And then there's another message. And then my response is yes. Shit. Have to watch it. <laughs> um, and then I corrected myself.
2: Andy, you should you should have just you should have just blagged it. You should have just spent the whole episode blanking <laughs> it. That would have been great fun.
1: That is part of the discussion as well. I corrected myself for the have to watch it. I said get to because I'm trying to get into the spirit of things. Uh, Darren was glad he checked in. And I said that I was aware that we were recording on Monday, but I would have just checked on uh Sunday on evening Sunday <laughs> night. what it was that we were supposed to watch and what streaming service <laughs> um, yeah. and it would have been in handling uh it would have been bad news, yeah um yeah, and Darren did make that point. it is like kind of, you're you're quieter than normal. <laughs> Probably, uh, I w- I wonder what I have interrupted you less if I hadn't seen the movie. <laughs> um,
0: I think we would have spent a lot more time talking about the box office because that you can gauge without watching the movie. But so you went to see it in the cinema what well, your expectations as you said I think you described it like the stages of grief. You went through denial and then you got to acceptance fairly quickly.
1: Very quickly. Um, what, yeah.
0: Yeah. So do you think this movie belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made?
1: Um, no, but I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I would, I would put it, um, if it's tough to say where I would put it on my kind of ranking, cause there's, there's five of them, right? And, um, yeah. And number two and number four would be in the bottom kind of four or five, yeah. you know?
0: Temple of Doom and Crystal Skull for you would be uh, at the bottom of your rankings.
1: Exactly. And then there is there 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 is this and the other two, that would be somewhere in the top three. With with Temple of Doom number one, and
0: then um, Last Crusade number one, I imagine.
1: Oh, sorry, sorry, I, I beg your pardon. Temple of Doom is the one
0: I hate. I shouldn't have corrected you. I should I shouldn't <laughs> let you go on record with that. But yes, Last Crusade I believe would be your number one.
1: Last Crusade and um, then whatever the so like I, I would probably put the first movie third. Because I, I do stand by like overall kind of uh, crumminess of it like that it, it's it's like watching at parts it's like watching the the Crystal Maze but like you know um,
0: <laughs> directed by the greatest living American filmmaker <laughs> yeah
1: so there's so much kind of affection for it you know <laughs> it's like like if they made Jaws but it's like um, we need to get the animatronics to do more.
0: <laughs> and Andrew's like, I yeah. just like the animatronic. No,
1: but like, like I, as in, like if they arrive to set and they're like, this uh, animatronic shark is kind of crap, and it's like, yeah, it let's you use it loads. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your position on record is that Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny the second. is probably as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark, maybe a little bit better.
1: I would, I would, I would, yeah, I would, I would, I would. Probably put Raiders of the Last Ark out of it, but it's just because I, I I did not like the second the other and, uh, fourth movie. Yeah, like I would I would put uh, Temple of Doom um, below uh, uh, Crystal Skull. Crystal All right, because I, I I don't like I think Crystal Skull is kind of fun, and it's not yes. like yeah it, like I don't I don't I don't hate it, and I didn't have the the. The very strong association that you did with with um,
0: <laughs> the God, big divorce it. energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: so, but uh, but uh, but I, I, w-
0: I love that that's now canon now that baby Darren had big divorce <laughs> energy. But anyway, uh,
1: yeah. But uh, and, uh, like, you're worried about like what how the finances will be like you know can, can, can afford like you know to two two homes with um, <laughs> in this economy yeah uh-huh. you're there with your ledger and kind of sorry uh-huh. no i i i i, I wouldn't uh, think that this ought to be in the top 250 movies of all time i think like you know if 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 you're gonna have to how many are in the list
0: at uh, two at the moment yeah so it's it's raiders and last crusade
1: yeah which is correct i think that is uh that which is, is
0: the right answer
1: yeah that is probably right and you could maybe get rid of last crusade um if you want a a um like a movie that's that's not uh, like of my choosing you know yeah. um because the, the raiders of the lost ark is the the in spite of what i think of it um it it is the usually influential the iconic influential yeah yeah
0: um and for myself uh no i do not think this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made um i think this movie is fine um which is kind of frustrating because it's been a summer of extremes where i think that like guardians the galaxy volume 3 and across the spider-verse and even wes anderson's asteroid city have all been phenomenal movies released in the past say eight weeks or so and I think that, like, on the other hand, The Flash, Fast X, and um, what was the other one? But yeah, basically, some, oh, Transformers Rise of the Beast, were, like, some of the worst blockbusters I have ever seen. And Dial of Destiny is mostly competent, Um, I think. I think it is, I think Mangold does the best that he can with the hand that he has been dealt and the assignment that he has been given here. And we'll get into talking about, like, personal preference in a moment. I think it is... Mostly efficient, mostly competent, rarely exciting, rarely interesting, and not necessarily particularly ambitious. Um, I, I think
1: is sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but is the problem for you that when you go on Twitter, you will be attacked by people who like the movie more and less than you did?
0: Ironically, yes. This is the classic Darren situation where I'm like, look, everybody, it's fine. It's not worth the hassle that anybody is causing over. Um, but yeah that, that everybody is everybody stops fighting
1: each other <laughs> and, <laughs> and then yeah, turn on me get on him lads me.
0: Yeah. yeah um yeah so no i i do not think it belongs on the the 250 i also don't think it belongs on the bottom 100 or anything like that um and i i think it's it's a fine movie and on to the second question so tony would this be on your own personal 250 your own 250 favorite movies
2: oh not at all no no, <laughs> no, and and I say that with a heavy heart, really, because in an ideal world, I'd put all the Indiana Jones movies on there. You know, in many, it, it, had they had they all been absolute bangers, I would. But no, I just, I just can't. And and I I think I think like Crystal Skull, I will come to appreciate this with some more time and distance. And I didn't hate it, you know, I I enjoyed it in 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 many places, but right now, no way. Would
0: it be on mine? Yeah, and and Andrew.
1: Yeah, I I I like I I think um, I wouldn't, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I think um, it took um, like similar to Crystal Skull. It kind of takes wild swings at um, like a similar point.
0: Interesting. I this is a conversation for the spoiler zone. Yeah, I think that the wild. I think this takes a lot longer to take its wild swings. It
1: does, but I and 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 when it got there, I enjoyed it more. But I think okay. that's that's my own kind of uh, biases. But no, it it wouldn't be on my own top two fifty. I wouldn't be annoyed if it was, or anything, because like I I can imagine myself watching this again and enjoying it again. I think it, yeah. it's 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 a very good filmmaker taking a um, kind of a beloved franchise and doing um, a good job with it. And it's fun. And yeah, uh, yeah. I I, I think, I think there's a lot to commend this movie. I just don't know. Like the fact that the, that the franchise isn't, I guess um, my thing would maybe make me think that like, you know, I'm not exactly going to be arguing for it to be included.
0: To be too, too strenuously. I mean, yeah, and for myself, I should be clear here. I've seen this three times because um, I previewed a little bit in advance uh, of its release. I saw it at release, and then I also saw it at the weekend to refresh my memory of it. And it would not make my own personal two fifty. And my my hot take on it, and this is something that I think it this is the the thing that I find quite frustrating and quite sad, and is why I probably seem to be harsher on the movie than it merits being is that this is the first Indiana Jones movie that kind of bores me. Like, that's the thing. It's like, say what you will about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. What that movie is doing and what it is committed to doing is at least interesting. And I think, Andrew, I think even you would concede of, like, Temple of Doom, a movie you profoundly hate, it's never boring, Um, that movie. It is, you know, very shrill, very uncomfortable, very unpleasant, but it's never boring and numbing. And I think... I mentioned seeing this three times. One of the reasons why I saw it three times was because I was worried I had forgotten pretty much all of it before we were going to talk about it today. Um, and I think that's k- kind of disheartening to me. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I mean, the boring wouldn't be the word for it. Like, I found myself bored by... um, Sorry, back to Temple of Doom. <laughs> um, In the first 10 minutes, because lots had happened, but I had no idea what the movie was. Fair. Um, Yeah, that was was my big problem with it, was that it was just a lot of stuff happening kind of one thing after another, and it was like what is what what are, what are what, what what is this about what, what is, is this movie? movie yeah 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 I, um,
0: and that's great that and that's that's what i love about temple of doom and we, we talked about this we don't need to reopen that discussion no. but i love the temple of doom is just go 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 but sorry, uh, yeah. well don't
2: no I've, it's funny you should say that because i've seen some people compare this to temple of doom in that sense that it is it is constantly just moving bouncing into the next thing and the next thing and the next yeah. thing but i, th- I think i, I what I don't agree with there though is that Temple of Doom had a as dark as that film was it had a certain zip to it and it had a certain playfulness and and then you get to some really wildly uh, you know brilliant set piece moments like the mine car chase etc and I don't really mm. think this has got anything equivalent to that at all you know it has it has a lot happening in fairly quick succession and I wouldn't necessarily say I was bored, but there were points where I just kept thinking, why isn't this more exciting? Like, why isn't a tuk-tuk chase, you know, the, the, I yeah. preferred the one in Octopussy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that was more exciting to me. Uh, you know, and then and it, there's just various set pieces that I, I just don't really work. So I, I found myself a little bit, I was engaged to a point, but I kept thinking... I don't understand why this feels less engaging than some of the other films. Even certain set pieces in in Crystal Skull, you know, yes, that film, yeah, it, it, it does depreciate in terms of the, you know, the the. Um, as the film goes on and some of those set pieces are really wobbly and a lot of that film is wobbly but there's nothing in Dial of Destiny that's as good as that opening 20 minutes of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull there's nothing as good as Indy swinging through Area 51 or going on that massive like four
0: that that, rocket rocket propeller or
2: the whole nuke the fridge so there's nothing as good as that in this so so yeah that's kind of where I stood
0: and can I throw something out there without getting into spoilers for me I think the issue is that for the first two hours of this movie and it is a two and a half hour movie but for the first two hours of this movie i was watching all these set pieces and i couldn't help but think i have seen every single one of these done better in one of the previous four films by spielberg who is like one of Mm. the greatest american directors ever to do it so without getting into spoilers you have Harrison Ford infiltrates a castle that's being occupied by Nazis. Okay, that's Last Crusade. You have Oh, there's an extended prequel sequence in which a younger version of Indy runs on a train looking for a relic. That's also Last Crusade. You have you mentioned a chase through a North African marketplace. That's Raiders of the Lost Ark. You have a sequence. I think
1: that's very intentional, by the
0: way. Oh no, I I think I absolutely think it's yeah. intentional. Um I the problem is that like if it's intentional, I'm like, why amn't I just watching those movies again? Mm. It's like, what Mangold? I I love James Mangold
1: because it's a, it's a swan song.
0: But but the way that film works is it's it's not like a live concert and it's not like a live performance. It's like I can go back and watch any of Harrison Ford's old movies anytime I want. If no, but when, want... when
1: when when you go to see a live performance of music, like the when. When an act starts playing its its new songs from its new album, that's the point that people go to the loo or go out for a smoke or whatever. You I know what I, I mean? Like they they this 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 is an old band, like yeah. Playing
0: I, I, I but the hits but the hits are yeah. already on CD is the thing. Like this is this isn't a live performance; it's a CD. But, they, but people I think go
2: to, sorry. I, I just think uh, to, if I might if I may, Andy, I think your point is that. People might have might have it on CD already but they'll buy it again and again and again because they, <laughs> they just want that that same thing on the new CD and and I think that's been that's part of the problem with the whole nostalgia thing you know I mean not to get too deep into it but this reminded me so often thematically anyway of Star Trek Picard and and had similar problems yes. you know and and it's it's that and it's that whole thing that by the time they got to the end of Star Trek Picard all anyone who was watching it was left who was watching it really wanted bar exceptions like us was get everyone back play all the hold hits you know get them back where they used to you know and 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 then you end up with a finale that was just ridiculous so i think they i don't think this is as egregious as that don't get me wrong no, but i no, think i think no. there are elements of it that definitely it is they just want they just think this is what the fans want Yes. Basically.
0: Well that that is not again, this feels like a conversation maybe to have later, but so much of this movie feels like a reaction against like Crystal Skull. Mm. Which, and it feels like it's so calibrated against Crystal Skull in a way that reminds me of... And I want to be clear, this is a much worse movie that we will be talking about much later in the year. It reminds me a bit of, say, Rise of Skywalker after The Last oh, Jedi. God, yeah. Where it seems like the big note that you got it's was... It's better than that. that thing you, <laughs> you, <clears throat> oh, it is. It's yeah. much better than that. It is yeah. absolutely much better than... Like, again, I... Rise of Skywalker and we get to it That is a bottom 100 movie mm. That is a movie that I think you can trace You watched that with Cats I did you? and I was like Cats <laughs> was the better movie um, I think like, like we have talked about this I had a double screening day Like a press screening day where the morning was Cats oh my God. And the afternoon was Rise of Skywalker And I remember walking out of the cinema Shell shocked into the world And thinking do I even want to be a yeah. film critic do I-
1: <laughs> Shall I just like, stop
0: <laughs> Has the art form done everything it can do i'm um, sorry
1: well when when you were asking the monkey paw to be <laughs> a, a film critic didn't you think that things like that would happen
0: uh, i d- i didn't think they would happen in such quick succession like it was it was the double whammy like i came out of cats and i was like look no matter what happens that will be the worst movie i see today and then the monkey paw curled. Hey. yeah
1: yeah i've i've seen i've seen better octopus um, um but it, it is wild that, that that like ever since tony mentioned that movie i've just been thinking about it and of course i'm i'm very aware of that bond movie like James Bond is so vulgar. Like, that. <laughs> um, like, like, Austin Powers is really not that far. From,
0: from the classic James Bond movies. No, no, it is yeah. not. Um, but, like, to, to get back to, like, the Dial of Destiny. I mean, I enjoy it, to be <laughs> fair. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're not hashtag cancel uh, James Bond. But I think the, the, <laughs> the issue with me for Dial of Destiny is that, like, it it has that feeling of, and I think, again, it is a much better movie than the rise of skywalker where it's like that thing you did last time that made the internet mad don't do anything like that again Don't do anything that will provoke the internet whatsoever. So go and play the hits, do the numbers, Mm. bring back the Nazis, have a sequence where he rides a horse and chases some cars like he did in Last Crusade, for example. Have a sequence where there's a marketplace and people are passing an item back and forth between them, like in, say, uh, Temple of Doom. Have a sequence where a character is bundled into the back of a truck and Indy sees them but can't stop them, much like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. All that sort of stuff. Um, it, It just feels like there's nothing... Until you get to that final half hour, and we'll save that for the spoiler Zone, there is nothing particularly new or exciting here. And that is frustrating to me because, Mm. like, even Mangold, like James Mangold, the director here, when he did Logan, there was no superhero movie like Logan. There arguably still hasn't been a superhero Mm. movie like Logan. And that worked in large part because it took the character... And did interesting things, providing a swan song for this character who had been a staple of pop culture for about 20 years since Hugh Jackman had played him in Brian Singer's X-Men. And it found a way to tell a story that was deeply human. We'll and never sad. play him again. And yeah, thankfully, we'll certainly never play him again <laughs> or multiple versions of him in a blockbuster that is is due out next year starring Ryan Reynolds. That will never, <laughs> never happen. Um, But yeah, I, I think...
1: This would It'd be like Wrexham winning the
0: football game. <laughs> never happen. It'd be like Tony beating you 3, three 1 oh. in, in some sort of game it's we were playing odd, on yeah. this podcast. Yeah, they would be absurd. Um, sorry. But... Entirely uncalled. <laughs> that was entirely uncalled. call. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I crossed the line and I apologize. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but but just to put a of bow on, on what we were talking about there, I mean, Tony, Tony mentioned Star Trek Picard, I mentioned Rise of Skywalker. Like, I think what what bothers me about that, and then you can also, you can throw in, like, Ghostbusters Afterlife, for example, or the portrayal of Michael Keaton Batman in The Flash, all this sort of stuff, where, like, this is nostalgia that is aimed kind of at me. I am you know conceptually the perfect target for this mm. i grew up watching indiana jones i grew up watching the tim burton batman's i watched the ghostbusters i watched star trek the next generation like i am the target market for these pieces of mass culture and and they're very much aimed at me they're designed to kind of appease me and to give me what they think i want and yeah. there's a part of me just on a personal level and with no disrespect to everybody who enjoys them lots of people do good for them But for me, it feels kind of weirdly insulting where... A large part of this is you have this wave of pop culture, which is about the idea that you get older and you mature and you make mistakes and you grow and you learn and you pass on to the next generation. That's what, say, you know, The Last Jedi is about. That's what, however clumsily, the first two seasons of Star Trek Picard are about. That's what arguably even like Ghostbusters 2016 is is about. It's about this idea of like passing on something that was yours to somebody else so they can make it their own. And then immediately afterwards, you have this kind of backlash to it where it's like, no, it's. All yours, and it will always be yours, and you will hold on to it forever, and you'll never get old. And, like, a large we talked about the absurd budget of this movie here, where this costs $295 million. One of the large reasons for that is because so much of it is pretending that Harrison Ford is not an 80 year old man or a 78, 79 year old man, it's the insurance that it costs to make an action movie like this around Harrison Ford it's the extensive extensive covid protocols which have to be particularly strenuous when you are dealing with an actor who is 80 80 years old you have like the idea of like having to cgi Harrison Ford not obviously you know the the slight spoilers but like for the flashback sequences as portrayed in the trailer but also for the sequences where he's doing stuff like riding a horse as an older man it's very obvious that is a cgi double it's particularly obvious in the trailer which was released before that cgi was properly finished that they had to cgi him over stuntman Mm. where like a large portion of what you're spending this money on is convincing me that Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones are not as old as they really are and that feels really and again you can go to things like say The Flash as well where like Batman is flying around a CGI version of Michael Keaton is as flexible if not more flexible than he has ever been and he's hip and he's cool and he's doing all these action beats that are even more dynamic than what he was actually doing in the 80s and 90s when he had restricted movement because of the costume he was wearing and the subtext of that all seems to be this idea that, you know, these characters are not old, they're not over the hill, they're not confronting mortality, they're never going to die, don't you worry about it, they're as hip and as cool and they can do everything that they could always do. And implicitly, the the message that seems to be directing at me, and, and maybe I'm being overly defensive, man, is the idea of, well, so are you. You are just as hip and young and vital and, right. you know, you're, you're still young and exciting and fresh and you haven't changed. You can still be that innocent child who watched Indiana Jones all those years ago who had big divorce energy watching temple of doom and it's like i i'm not and I, I, I don't want to be. I mean, I, I like that part of me. I acknowledge that part of me. I still feed that part of me when I go back and rewatch Temple of Doom. But I, I don't need to be treated like a child. I don't need you to treat yeah. me like I'm a seven-year-old being awed at the majesty of what I'm seeing. Yeah. I'm quite happy to accept that I'm older, that there are younger people behind me, that there are people who will get to inherit this, that I'm you know, i confronting my mortality in a certain sense. I am comfortable with that. And the fact that you you are so Delicate about that, that you have to tiptoe around that because you assume that I'm going to throw some sort of online hasty fit or tantrum right. at the prospect of acknowledging the fact that you know Indie is older and therefore I am older as well. That just it, it that is what doesn't sit with me about those movies, just on an intensely personal uh level. Uh sorry, that was a bit a bit of a ramble, a bit of a rant. Alright, Tony. Would you recommend Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? If listeners have not seen it already, should they go to a cinema and see it on as big a screen as possible?
2: Yes, actually. No, I, I actually would. Like having said all this, absolutely. Be- for for one thing, because I I know I I am de- I am sad. Much as all the context we've given, I am sad that it's not doing particularly well at the box office. That's the number one thing, and number two, it, it, it ultimately even even a i wouldn't go as far as bags i don't think it's a bad movie but even a no, no it's not an bad. average indiana jones movie give me that any day over a lot of the superhero stuff most of the fast and furious films all that kind of thing you know absolutely and it is well worth seeing on a big on, on a big screen even though i have my issues with some of the way it's made despite all of this we'll get to that uh, yeah absolutely absolutely go and see it and form your own judgment.
1: and andrew yeah i would i would recommend that people go see it i thought um it was like i i don't really want to spoil anything but i but i think we we've said like a number of times that it is a swan song and um
0: it's been openly sold as the final time that harrison ford will play the role yeah
1: and i think it ought to be i mean i i knew next to nothing about this movie but i did not know that um and i ought to know that and people ought to know that because like you know i i feel like there are, probably are people like me who are very aware of indiana jones but like you know don't um aren't especially pushed about going to 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 watch this who would maybe be hooked by by that idea of it being the final um Indiana indiana jones who don't want
0: to see another indiana jones but want to see the final indiana jones as it were
1: yeah yeah and i i i I think it's a tasteful and affectionate one song and i i think um Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I, I found her uh, quite an enjoyable presence in the movie. I thought I th- I th- there's uh, the villain. Um, Mads Mikkelsen's Schmidt or Waller. Mads yeah. Mikkelsen, yeah, um, who's um, as good as you'd expect, um, I think. Um, he's, and, he's very and...
0: much playing playing the hits. He's playing kind of the archetypal role that kind of like he, he played in yeah. Casino Royale. Yeah, you went know, back in two thousand and five, and has played since in Hollywood productions.
1: Exactly, it's easy for Mads Mikkelsen to to to, and he's very good at to it. do that. He's very charismatic. He's very handsome. He's he's, uh, and uh, he's kind of has that.
0: What is GQ's description of him? The face of a gentleman child murderer.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry. <Yes>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no but i i yeah and 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 i i i think it, it's it's a lot of fun i i i enjoyed it i didn't resent having to spend <laughs> that time in the cinema once it was over with i was like oh, yeah that was that was that, that was fun
0: okay i feel less guilty now which is good
1: um and and as well it the it, it, because it's a swan song it doesn't do that thing of like we're gonna feed you this until the end of time <laughs>
0: Yes, it has. Again, like we've talked about this. One of the things that I liked about a recent new entry that we covered on the list, or two recent new entries that we covered on the list, was the sense that they felt like final movies. They felt like goodbyes. I actually do like the feeling of finality and closure. Mm. Ironically, it has since been announced that John Wick Chapter 5 is coming, whether I like it or not, so I guess I (laughs) I should have enjoyed that feeling of closure while I had it.
2: Um, I, I did see just on that, can I just chip in? Yeah. There, was a, there was a tweet someone said, when a, a quote from Chad Stahelski that, you know, he, he's figuring out how to do it maybe, that it might happen. And somebody had said, I'd be well up for John. Well, okay, spoilers if you haven't seen John Wick Chapter 4, but, you know, just close your ears.
0: Or skip ahead 30 seconds, yeah.
2: Or, or skip ahead 30 seconds. John, John is dead and the film is that he has to fight his way through hell to get back to heaven and his wife. <laughs> well, <that is laughs> pr- I could absolutely go with that given that franchise i would, yeah, would be in for that to be honest
1: i would li- i would like to think as well that in the john wick universe um hell is also like you know um a specific fraternity
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, of, a Just self. another hotel also, of, yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. of 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 demons and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. resemble like the hell that we all
2: No are absolutely going to. <laughs> you can, don't you could do it 100% but yeah. anyway anyway Abs- <laughs>
0: But yeah, so we're yeah. back. We're back from the premature, short-lived spoiler zone, and we'll be jumping into the real one in a moment. <laughs> for for myself, um, I guess maybe like I am not gonna give this a full-throated recommendation. I think if you haven't seen Across the Spider Verse, go see that. If you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, go see that. If you haven't seen Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, go see that. Um, if you're buying time to wait until you go and see Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Maybe go see this. This is it's 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 fine. It's large scale production starring a movie star from a director who knows how to make a movie. Um, it is coherent in a way that many modern blockbusters we mentioned, Fast X, Transformers, um, and like The Flash simply are not. Um, so yeah, if 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 it's, if it sounds like something you'd be interested in, go give it a go. I'm not gonna push it that hard because I I really i didn't come out of this movie feeling that much about it which is quite surprising given the affection i have both for you know indiana jones as a franchise and property and also harrison ford as an actor um but yeah i mean why not and on that ringing endorsement (laughs) we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone
1: Spoiler
2: zone. Was that was that Harrison Ford saying spoiler zone? Because that was a good impression.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. It's. A, 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 I think what a lot of people do is they just do a gravelly voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Get off my podcast! Um... <laughs> I
2: didn't kill my wife. <laughs> yeah,
1: just... I
0: don't care.
1: Um... <laughs> but um... I see if Fantastic line in the movie. He, get, he gets
2: some good. He does get some good lines in this. There's 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 a good line where um, uh, I think uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character yeah, ball- says, "And um,
0: um, fasten your seatbelt, Doctor Jones. Expect some turbulence." Yeah,
2: that's good. And then, he, but he also says, "You should have stayed in New York." And he says, "You should have. You shouldn't have gone into Poland or something like that." Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's really good. Don't try to be some funny, Scholar. You're German. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And when he says at the end as well, when he says... He's just giving him ideas, though.
0: <laughs> that is very fair. Voller sits down and makes a note. Jurgen
1: Voller <laughs> takes out his notebook and is like, yes, prob- probably don't go to Poland. <laughs>
0: uh, item number five, yes. I'm sorry.
2: I also love his um, uh, his glee when Voller makes his mistake just towards the end and he says you got the wrong coordinates (laughs) it's it's great it's because he's so happy about it and he he delivers some of these lines very well actually
0: i mean like that is the kind of thing where it's like if you're asking me to justify 300 million dollars spent on this movie the best case i can make is that it looks like it made harrison ford happy and harrison (laughs) ford seems like a man it is very hard to make happy so good for you like that's yeah. kind oh, of it,
1: yeah. just give him a split. <laughs> like, I feel, I feel like he's he's a man who's like loves his wife, loves marijuana. Doesn't care for movies, but it will. It, it, sorry, no, no, no. I am. It, it, it. feels like he enjoys some movies more than others.
2: I think we need. I think we need Andy in the Hollywood pitching rooms. So <laughs> instead of it, there's two roads, yeah. shall we spend three hundred million dollars on a new Indiana Jones movie? And Andy's like, just give us spliff <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Much how cheaper. make a stoner comedy <laughs> with with, with, Rogan, with Harrison yeah. Ford yeah, so I'd watch yeah. that to
2: be to be fair given how good he is in shrinking I yes. think he could pull off a, uh, a stoner comedy at this point definitely
0: uh, like okay so Tony oh, I'm sorry. grumpy stoner though <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> maybe he's grumpy because he doesn't have his, <laughs> his sweet sweet sense Amelia
0: that's your yeah. character arc um, yeah. so Tony eventually we got here <laughs> What is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny about for you? Well,
2: it, it's it's naturally about aging, isn't it? It's about the passage of time. It is about a a man at the towards the end of his career and to some extent the end of his life f- facing that period of yeah, point of renewal. You know, and I have to say, it is it is a it's become a bit of a worn out trope now. I think this actually the, the, the sort of Great hero who was never really appreciated in his time, the grizzled guy who has to recapture his mojo and and find an element of his youth again. It feels like that that this is starting to be done to death by utilizing all of these, you know, great actors, these classic actors, don't get Patrick me. Patrick
0: Stewart in Picard, for example, Patrick Harrison Stewart Ford in Picard. Star Wars, uh Hamill yeah. in Star Wars, you know, Rocky Bubbo yeah. in the Creed franchise, all that yeah. sort of stuff.
2: There's loads. There's loads of them, absolutely. And it feels a little bit like y- y- we're getting towards the point now where there's not many left, really, that you can realistically do this with. Um, but I-, I understand, I understand where you would come from thematically here, and I and I I found that to be, I found that to be appropriate, and I I liked that choice in terms of what it meant as a film, and uh, it-, it didn't have the same resonance personally with me as last crusade does which is the film that really i mean naturally because it is the it is really the softest indiana jones film in many ways and it's the most light indiana jones film i think but in many in many respects but that really get gets me every time so yeah i think yeah
0: can i throw something out at you tony because this is something that i have Mm -hmm. been struggling to wrap my head around with this movie where this movie is obviously, as you said, it is capitalizing on the wave of nostalgia that's built around the idea of, well, let's bring back these old actors and, like, say farewell to them in their iconic roles and hope that we make a shed load of money off it. You know, and again, if you're being cynical, appeal to nostalgia. If you're not being cynical, appeal to sentimentality and the love that audiences feel for these characters in these roles play, you know, played by these actors. Um, but, like you know, obviously we mentioned, like, Star Wars is the big one, you have Creed, you have Picard, you have Ghostbusters Afterlife, you've got Michael Keaton in the upcoming, the recent Flash movie, for example. Um, All that sort of stuff. And one of the reasons why this is one of those movies where I scratch my head and go, really? Is because, like, Crystal Skull was one of the first of these. Where, like, Crystal Skull arrived in 2008, a year before, say, Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek 2009. And, like, It felt like that movie was very far ahead of the curve in being wouldn't it be cool to bring back this old veteran for one new adventure as an old age pensioner, you know, in which he reckons with the fact that he's grown up, that he's made some mistakes in his life, where he reconciles and tries to make things right. And he he steps into the role of like a father figure as opposed to being a young man. And. Crystal Skull did that in 2008, and it feels strange that 15 years later you're basically doing the same thing again with the exact same character and the exact same actor like does any of this am i am i the only person who feels like this is largely redundant because Crystal Skull exists no not at all absolutely And you're right to mention, like, Last Crusade, because I think, obviously, at the time, Spielberg and Lucas said that it was a trilogy. They'd always agreed to make three movies, and that closing shot of Indy riding off into the sunset is the perfect place to leave him, which is... One of my big problems with pop culture right now, which is you have all these goodbyes to all these iconic and beloved characters, but you you know watching them that these are just going to be, they're, you know, they're going to wait a couple of years, they're going to make another goodbye to those characters, or they're going to rewrite the goodbye that you've already said. You know, obviously Hugh Jackman is going to appear in Deadpool 3, so, you know, it wasn't really goodbye to him and Logan. Yeah. It just, it's hard to invest in... Yeah. What is actually probably a goodbye to this character when I, two previous goodbyes already exist, whether Last Crusade* and you know *Kingdom of the Crystal Skull*?
1: I think the 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 problem with *Crystal Skull* is it does two things: is it hands over the mantle, but then doesn't. You know that that, um, Moss, is. Um, I think, in a version of that movie, the new Indiana Jones maybe just doesn't test well. And then it's kind of like, um
0: no, The closing no. shot where, where, where he takes the hat yeah, back.
1: Exactly. You might think I'm old, but I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Whereas there is a real sense at the end of this movie that it's like, okay, that's enough. Um, can, yeah.
0: Can I? Just, but the the closing shot is pretty much exactly the same. Like that's the thing. This movie ends up with Indy. The-
1: I think it's similar, but the context okay. is sort of different. I feel anyway
0: yeah where like the the ending of crystal skull is that the doors blow open the hat blows up Mutt picks it up considers putting it on for a second and then indy takes it back and walks out the doors with marion whereas here the closing shot of the movie is the camera pans up the hat is hanging outside on a clothesline you get the iris in on the hat but it freezes and then indy grabs the hat and pulls it into the bedroom with him which fair play 80 years old sorry
1: why yeah, why, why do you think he, he pulls it into the bedroom with him? Um I... So he's just, he's just cleaned the house. <laughs> but I they they're they're likely um, making love, yeah, right? and I
0: mean, if you're making love to Indy, you want the full experience. I mean, we didn't see him grab the whip, but we have to assume that. But no, I, I, I think symbolically, what that scene represents is the same thing. It's like Harrison Ford will never give up the fedora, which yeah. is grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why not clean it after <laughs> after the, the sex that session? Then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that is like I love that. That's Mangold's response when he's asked about that closing scene about Indy grabbing the hat. It's like the reason he does that is because that's a terrible way to dry a hat. It's just impractical. That's not how you dry a hash. <laughs> but I, I do, I do find it like that's the thing where this movie ends with Ford have like. Does he also get the whip? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but like, but like the the central emotional arc of Crystal Skull is that like, Indy and Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark were meant to be together. Indy kind of sabotaged it, blew it up. They separated. And in the end, they come back together and live happily ever after. That is the broad arc of Crystal Skull. That is also the broad arc of Dial of Destiny, except Dial of Destiny reserves Marion's appearance to a cameo in its final scene. Mm. Like the the version of this movie that Lucas was working on after King of the Crystal Skull had Marion as a full-fledged kind of protagonist along with Indy. And, you know, we talked about it with Crystal Skull. One of the big problems with Crystal Skull is there is not enough Marion in there. The movie waits an hour to introduce her, treating her arrival as a big reveal and a big spoiler. And even then it feels like there's too little Karen Allen in the movie. And Karen Allen herself has said, like, she was disappointed that that idea that Lucas had and pitched her on never came to fruition and she only ends up in a final scene in this movie. So it's like this movie takes a problem with Crystal Skull... And somehow instead of making it less of a problem, makes it more of a problem. I I, I don't know.
1: And it kills much. And okay. So 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 solving a problem. <laughs> well that that's like, that's good old Vietnam.
0: Yeah. Can we okay, let's talk about the muttness of it, because this is this is the thing for me where this feels so much like fan service and What year is this? Yes. Yeah. This uh, is nineteen sixty nine, right? The, math, the maths doesn't make sense. The maths does not make sense. I
1: believe he dies in, in 1969 in Vietnam. Much does.
0: Or it's maybe 67 at a push. But like, how old would he be then? He would be in his mid-30s. He's a mid-30s man who enlisted, went to Vietnam and got killed. The chronology does not make sense. And I know that sounds like nitpicking. But it gets at something... Like, this feels kind of... Again, this is the thing where it's in a... Apologetic sequel mm. where it feels like it's kind of a soft reboot of Crystal Skull, where mm. you have the opening sequence, which is Indy in 1945, D-Age by Harrison Ford. We'll talk about that in a moment, right? But it jumps from Indie, D-Age, 1945, fighting Nazis to Indie in New York, 1969, which very much communicates subtextually. Nothing important happened between these two dates. Indy had big adventures, he was in the Second World War, Second World War ended, now it's 1969 and he's got a new set of problems to go with. They do not mention Mutt by name over the course of the film. There is a single frame photograph that looks vaguely like Shia LaBeouf, which is visible in one shot in the background of the frame. It's not like the picture of Marion or even the picture of Henry Jones Sr. which appears. Um, They don't show footage of Mutt at any point. He never mentions him by name. He just talks about his son who died. The chronology doesn't make any sense if you assume that it is the same Mutt who appeared in Crystal Skull. Because, as we said, who enlists to go to Vietnam at the age of thirty-three or thirty-four, and also a former greaser as well, enlisting, not being conscripted, but enlisting to go to Vietnam.
1: He he was bullied into it by his parents, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: but like they encouraged they encourage <laughs> them to go. Yeah, it's like you you you. <laughs> Your generation has a Vietnam <laughs> and and you need to go and die. Yeah. Um, but like But he well, yeah, that 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 he didn't get drafted.
0: But it, but it does it does feel a little bit like the sequels like, Don't worry, forget about Crystal Skull. And that mm-hmm. for me creates a problem when this movie essentially does Poochie died on the way back to his home planet with the character of Mutt yeah. who nobody liked and then tries like the audacity of doing Poochie died on the way back to his home planet and making that the central emotional arc. Where it's like, you hated Poochie, we killed him off-screen in Vietnam, we're not even going to mention his name, I think- but it's going to be central to the character's emotional <laughs> arc that he that we killed him off to appease fans. That's the bit I can't square. With does it movie. work in spite of that? That's so. what I'm wondering. That's It doesn't work for well, me, but does it work for you guys? Well, n- not really.
2: And uh, it just feels indicative of... The fact that this film feels made up of a lot of half-formed ideas, really, and I think you know it, it, they wanted to explore indie in this this space at the end of the sixties. The you know where he's he's hearing his neighbors blasting out Magical Mystery Tour, and he's in a completely you know it's a fish out of water scenario. He's in a completely different world than you might expect. He you know he wanted to ex- have the the moon landings happening in the background and this kind of thing. It just but, but it never really explores any of it particularly because it's so determined to get back to being an indiana jones movie of old you know and it doesn't really give it any space and i think having you know it feels like it just like you say kind of wants to scrub a little bit of crystal skull out of the way in the main but it wants to it wants to place indy in this new spot but then he never really wants to go into any new areas i mean the the most egregious thing i think in the whole film is the fact that and unless i missed something that you guys picked up the fact that he is he's implicated in a murder and he has to go on the adventure precisely because he needs to essentially clear his name and then it is completely forgotten about by the end like there is a, there is not even a line that references the fact that actually two people were killed who we work with and three three people were killed on, I think the- three people were killed and your blood is on on the in the crime scene like how does how does that get resolved you know how does anyone how is anyone gonna gonna explain the reason oh yeah it was a a, a Nazi who is still alive and he was it was all part of a scheme to get a dial to go back in time to kill Hitler I mean he would be you would be sectioned <laughs> like i don't know where i don't know where so it, it just feels like the film just wants to put certain things in the pot and then not really have to deal with them and i th- and, and because it is so determined to try and recapture various different films in the franchise you know uh particularly raiders i think it's really really wants to try and recapture
1: and he he just can't do it how do we know the police aren't outside (laughs) as as soon as soon as bb waller bridge
0: rounds the corner the squad cars pull up yeah that's why he's putting the hat on it's like yeah we got to go on the run again um Yes, I think
1: Salah sold him out. He's like, let's get the kids away and have ice cream. cream. We never have too much ice cream.
0: But that's the thing for me, where it's like, this is supposed to be a movie about Indiana Jones being out of time. And I kind of hate that Dial of Destiny is making Darren the number one Crystal Skull defender, where I think the Crystal Skull is a deeply flawed movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was my job. But I think the Crystal Skull is a deeply flawed movie. But I think that watching Dial of Destiny, I went back to Crystal Skull over the weekend and I'm like, you know what? This is actually pretty decent. Like compared to. Yeah, it,
2: it looks better for one thing. Yeah. It has a lot more visual ingenuity than this film
0: does. A lot more narrative ingenuity as well. Like You watch Crystal Skull and in the opening 10 minutes you have, what if we have a truck race inside a warehouse, which is not something the franchise has ever done before. What if we have Indy punching a Soviet on a rocket-propelled raft, which is something we have (laughs) never done before. What if we have Indy confronted with a nuclear bomb... Which is something that we have never done before, mm. and then I'm watching Dial of Destiny by comparison, and all it is doing is playing the hits and bringing out stuff that I've yeah. already seen indie do by a director who is more suited to do them. Like that. That's that's the thing. I love Mangold. I love Mangold very much. I think he is a fantastic director. I'm really glad he got to do this project. I think Logan is phenomenal. I rewatched his filmography from beginning to end as preparation for this. Wow. I think Copland is amazing. I think 310 to Yuma is fantastic. I think Ford versus Ferrari like activated my dad mode. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a father, but I feel like I am because I love, I love that uh, Ford versus Ferrari. So Yellowstone. Much. Yeah, I know. My Yellowstone <laughs> set is in the mail. Um, it's, it's, it's drying outside with my cowboy hat on my clothesline. Um, uh-huh. But like, and it's like,
1: yeah, I, I I paid for the next day delivery on it because I'm a dad. And yeah, and I'll 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 discuss it as well <laughs> because but, everybody cares. The, 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 yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but like the, the thing with the thing with Mangold is Mangold is not an action director in the style of Spielberg, and that is not an insult. Very few directors who are not Spielberg are action directors in the style of Spielberg. But when you're watching his action sequences, it becomes very clear. Like, Spielberg is very good at, like, signposting things. He will cut to things to show you things that you need to be paying attention to mm. in an action scene, so it becomes like a game. And I know Andrew doesn't like the opening scene of Temple of Doom, where they're at the nightclub and there's, like, you have the game of Willie is looking for the diamond and Indy is looking for the cure, and there's also, like, a gangster fight that is happening in in the background of this um but characters have motivations they know what they want and because like spielberg's choreography is simple you know exactly where everybody is and what they're doing at a given moment mm. whereas repeatedly throughout this film like the bad guys are they're 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 voler who is the character played by mads mickelson you have Boyd Holbrook playing Kleber, who is his main henchman, who I kind of want to talk about because I've got lots of questions. But you also have like Hawk, who's Olivier Richter, who's the big guy. But in every single action sequence they are in, there is always a fourth guy who appears out of nowhere so he can get killed unceremoniously (laughs) with minimal like foreshadowing just whenever the action sequence needs a pickup. And it's very disorienting and it's very confusing because the camera doesn't show you any of them. There's a sequence like where they're they're driving through tangiers and the like is what's the name of the guy uh rahim who is like obviously helena's you know former fiance Mm. he's chasing them in a car and his car gets brutally machine gunned and then all of a sudden at the climax of the chase he's back again it seems like he survived he's the only person in the car at that moment in time but you don't see it and it's very disorienting there's a there's a moment later on where like uh what's his name claber like handcuffs teddy to hawk and he he seems to put the keys away in his own pocket but later on in the scene teddy takes the keys out of the back of hawk's pocket and it again it's very confusing similarly like there's there's moments where they cross a bridge and the camera pays a great deal of attention to the bridge they cross basically hawk breaks the bridge falls underwater and drowns but later on when like Voller is escaping the cave he runs over the same bridge there's this weird lack of kind of continuity editing which is is very disorienting when you're watching a movie that is mainly action sequences because as Tony mentioned this is a movie that is primarily built around chase sequences but it doesn't have the same like level of spatial awareness as Spielberg's chase sequences in the earlier Indiana Jones movies so I find myself like constantly trying to figure out where characters are in relationship to one another Mm. and like even the plotting of this movie like characters continuously bring up things that have no bearing on the plot whatsoever there's no econ no economy of like dialogue or exposition here take for example the diving sequence where like antonio banderas is ronaldo who like shows up and is promptly killed off
2: oh He's so wasted in this film, like he,
0: Banderas.
1: He's he, tragic. He is. but like, I'm sure he was delighted to be a part of it. Oh,
0: though. to be there. He yeah, was absolutely. like, what, well, well, yeah,
1: whatever yeah. the role is, I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. obviously, like, he'd worked with Mangold and Steven Spielberg um, on, like, The Mask of Zorro and stuff like that. So he was thrilled to be invited. Mm. But, like, he has the bit where he's like, um, okay, so just so we're clear, two things to remember when we go down underwater. First of all, don't cross the ropes. Second of all, you can only be down there for three minutes. And I'm watching that and I'm going, okay, the game here is that at some point the ropes are going to get tangled or Harrison Indy's going to have to stay down for longer than three minutes and it just never comes up again. Or the bit at the climax where, you know, Voller is like driving towards the rift, right? And... Indy's like, oh, you forgot about Continental Drift because obviously Archimedes couldn't have known about Continental Drift. You're making a mistake, Voller. And there's this whole big dramatic kind of panic over it. But then it turns out to be completely irrelevant because the dial was always a false deck, a trick deck. It always forced the cards, uh, as the metaphor of the magic trick goes earlier on. So it always led back to the Siege of Syracuse. So, Obviously, Archimedes somehow did know about continental drift, which is why would you spend three minutes leading up to that yelling about not knowing continental drift? Like, you're, you're watching that and you're thinking, okay, so they're going to go back in time and they're going to end up with dinosaurs or something. Or they're going to end up in the Napoleonic he, Wars. Like
1: He lives sorry. on a volcanic island, <laughs> in, 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 like in Sicily. He, he, he knows about volcanoes and he knows about <laughs> the, the, the way that... Um, uh, that 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 Earth moves like based on like fault lines and things. I guess I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, it is strange that they bring that up,
0: and it has no bearing whatsoever. Like i don't know i'd like that, that it's little things it's like
1: it's been rewritten or reshot or something
0: yes continuously like there's again, like, this is like 50
1: a million dollars of like you know <laughs> continental drift and um <laughs> uh, uh um uh, uh, never joined Tangled the streams ropes
2: <laughs> and, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> here's here's a question
2: do we think that the film might have been better off actually going back to the second world war in terms of the actual time travel and going and going maybe more to a situation where Indy has to stop vola killing Hitler or some iteration of that <laughs> and almost bookending the 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 sequence at the beginning and and having and having an older indie not necessarily come face to face with himself I'm not necessarily suggesting that but an older indie at the in the time of his life where he was at his prime that youthful prime of his and he has to go back. And do the one thing that everyone in, in an ideal world would want to do: kill the man who you know was behind the war. I don't know. I feel like the problem is there's not the the, the personal stakes are are off. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, or right. or have it have it be that he goes back in time, and that he he has some sort of of contact with people he's close to, a younger Henry, a a mutt again or something, something to actually tether to. The feeling of loss and time passing an age. I get why they went back to like ancient Sicily. I get that. I understand the point that he's back in in the time of a, a, of a archaeology of a world where that he'd been studying yeah. all his life. Archaeology, absolutely. But when he gets there, and there's not really much that happens. You get a few little, you know, you get the fun anachronisms of Roman triremes firing on the World War Two planes, and that's all great fun, but. When he gets there, there isn't there isn't anything close to that sort of really emotive power when he meets the Grail Knight, for instance. When he meets Archimedes, it's just a bloke. You know, it doesn't really
0: connect. The thing with the watch as well, which feels... Again, this feels like a movie that went through copious amounts of reshoots, where they had like five different endings. Yeah. Now, to be clear... Mangold has insisted there were no test screenings of this movie; that it was all under control; that everything was as it was meant to be. Ford and I believe John Williams have both come and said we were doing reshoots up until December 2022. Um, so there is some back and forth about how much the movie may or may not have changed. Mm. But things like, say, the discovery of the watch, right—the watch on the corpse um, in, like, with the dial where, like, the movie has spent so much time drawing your attention to the clock. It opens with the sound of the ticking clock. There's a moment where they're in Tangiers and Teddy steals the watch from Indy, which is his father's watch, right? Which cements to you that Indy would never give away the watch under any circumstances. It does feel like that is building to some sort of reveal where Indy goes back in time and becomes Archimedes and is buried with his father's watch. But then instead you get like a weird insert here where instead it's Voller's watch for some reason. Um, like you have Archimedes goes and visits Voller before he goes and visits Indy because they know that people will complain about continuity if they don't close that off. It's it's very strange. It's very strangely structured. Um,
1: you do get to see... Boyd Holbrook you know <laughs> with his
0: <laughs> like the
1: uh, um, really hates those romans.
0: Or yeah, I feel savages. like he's shooting yeah.
1: he's shooting them all.
0: Yeah. Um I, I do want to talk about Caber K- because I have some questions about that character. Um but like the Mangold has said that they did consider that ending that Tony mentioned. They did consider um going back to the nineteen thirties. I
1: prefer what they did there though.
0: I think I think it's the better cho I think it's a safer choice. I think yeah.
1: I, I, I like I like kind of setting it in in antiquity because I think it's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And it's also um mm. uh fits. I think with with the the like the this the, it was interesting as well that they deny him the kind of the hero's um, uh, sacrifice. Death, yeah, yeah.
0: I I love that like that that moment where she punches him and just drags him on the play where he's doing this whole self pitying thing of like uh, there's nothing there for me. There's nothing in the modern world let me be here with my history and my books and my you know legends and all this sort of stuff
1: Where's daniel craig at the end of um uh, <laughs> no time to die no time to die yeah
0: <laughs> yeah but um, that that's the thing where i i kind of Part of me suspects it's down to reshoots and that ending was landed on rather late in the process and was continually revised. But it's like, that ending would work for me if you had done something like shown Indy late at night reading about Archimedes kind of drinking whiskey or something like that. Or, you know, somebody had like interrupted him reading Archimedes and it's like, you need to get out of that. You need to get into the present at some point earlier. Mm. It feels rather strange Mm. that like Mm. Indy...
1: Well he was giving a a, a lecture on Archimedes or he, in the he movie. was
0: but that feels like exposition it doesn't And nobody was listening nobody was listening but it doesn't feel like that was his passion like he's he's what he's giving that lecture But and he you feels you've t-
1: seen you've seen that see, scene right and you, yes. you you didn't get any passion for Archimedes either. from him
0: from him no from
1: him you i got didn't. the sense
0: of frustration and and exhaustion. you've seen it three yeah, times I've seen it three times. I got a sense of frustration and exhaustion. He was exhausted
1: of people, uh, yeah, with the students, students, but not with the subject. He he was very passionate about it.
0: Okay, I didn't get the same energy I got from him teaching, like, other stuff in other movies. Like, I didn't get the sense of he's like, kids, you need, like, this is exciting and interesting. I got the sense of, you're not paying attention. Nobody pays attention to me anymore, rather than, I love Archimedes. Let me tell you how much I love Archimedes. You need to pay. No,
1: because I did get that. Okay.
0: Alright. Alright. Tony, how do you feel on that? I'm adjudicator. <laughs> I'm more I'm more veering
2: towards you, Darren, really. But I, I think I think there's I think there's a good I'm gonna be very uh Switzerland. I think there's a good point to be made on both <laughs> sides there.
1: <laughs> I don't think the movie hinges that man.
0: Um Like I I like the third act. The third act is my favourite part of the movie, and I love, as Andrew says, I love that it goes gonzo. I love that it leans into the crazy.
2: Yeah, I lo- I do like that as well, I have to say. It f- it fits, doesn't it, with the fact that most of the other movies have gone a bit loopy in that final moment. The yeah. Ark, the grail, you know, the alien ship, well, the interdimensional <laughs> beings, point of fact. Um, yeah, all that. It fits, doesn't it, really? if If it hadn't gone down that road and it went into more of a fairly traditional paradox loop it might not have had that sense of wonder and pizzazz at the end and so i i get it yeah i get it and and the word the it was fun it was fun to see those anachronisms
0: boyd holbrook as as andrew said screaming boss as he fires a machine gun out a window at a bunch of like <laughs> roman boats like again I, I, I um, like my favorite shot of the movie is the shot of archimedes riding out of the fortress with the planes in the background like that's it's the one shot in the, mo- in the movie that feels like a spielberg shot which is you're watching the horse ride out and you have the planes in the background and it's just two things that shouldn't be in a frame together in motion perfectly synchronistically it's beautiful it is i love that moment so much Anyway, sorry. Mm. Um, But yeah, I, I kind of, I think that they've talked about, like, I think that, that Mangold has said they did consider sending him back to 1939. And part of me is like, would the arc make more sense if it was, as as Tony said, Indy going back to his prime, going back to 1939 and being like, no, let me, let me live this again. Let me live this experience again. Let me experience what it was like to fight in the Second World War. Because obviously the movie opens with Indy in the second world war it has this like cgi computer generated indie facsimile quite good i thought maybe one of the best i've seen yeah i think yeah
1: yeah when you compare it to like i liked rogue one but the i thought the cgi of that and other um star wars movies have been bad where you kind of expect star wars movies to have like the best
0: um, special effects yeah but, Tony, what did you make of, like, the prologue? Because, again, this is one of the things where Spielberg had said as early as 2012 that he didn't want to do de-aging, he didn't want to do computer generated imagery, mm. he didn't want to have a younger Indiana Jones. That was not something he wanted to do with the project. And apparently the rumor has it, like, as Spielberg was leaving the project, they'd agreed to five minutes of it, and in the final film it is 25 minutes yeah. of it, which is...
2: I, I, I think it's the weakest prologue of all of them, to be honest. I think... I, th- I I I remember somebody um, messaging me on Twitter about a year, maybe two years ago, who claimed that they had insider knowledge of the film. And I took it very, you know, with a pinch of salt. And they, they suggested that the MacGuffin was going to be Excalibur. Now, it could have been at the point, and, and that the pre-credit sequence was going to be the original intended one for Last Crusade, which was basically Indiana in, in a castle with loads of weird ghosts. Oh, with around. the
3: ghosts. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and that and that and that the the reason they were filming in the north of England and such was that we potentially we were going to have more of an Arthurian kind of story here. Now, obviously, that didn't come to pass. Whether or not that was part of the plan, uh, so well, maybe whether or not Spielberg would have gone down that road, who knows? Because I know they were... They, they
0: were- yeah, I, I mean, we talked about that when we talked about The Last Crusade, how, like, Lucas had a lot of crazy ideas for that movie, and Spielberg coming off, like, Temple of Doom, was like, no, 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 George, we're going to moderate your ideas. Mm-hmm. So I can absolutely believe that Lucas was like, yeah, no, 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 that would be what I would want to do and I, I do think that there's there's kind of something interesting in after crystal skull comes out lucas like talks about what he wants to do for the you know next movie in the franchise and he's like I know exactly what the MacGuffin's going to be. And there's a quote, I think, to either Total Film or Empire where he's like, look, you got to be very careful when you pick an Indiana Jones MacGuffin. It can't be just anything. You can't have like a time machine. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> but I can absolutely buy the idea that Lucas early on in the process was like, yeah, we're yeah. finally going to do Excalibur.
2: I I think so. And, that, and Mangold has said, hasn't he, that they went through a ton of different possible MacGuffins. Yes. And they give you a fake out one with the Spear of Destiny, which for years would have been you know, considered to be a, a, you know, a a very typical indie relic, you know, that you Uh, could do. The sword that pierces Christ's The Lance Lance of of Longinus, Um,
1: yeah.
2: The Lance of Longinus, yeah.
1: I liked the first 10 minutes because it, it, it did what they didn't do in The Temple of Doom, in the sense that the movie starts with the ticking of a clock. And you know straight away, okay, this is a movie about time. And then it's like here is the um, hero, here is the villain, and this is the thing that they're fighting over. This this um,
0: uh, that will guide the arc of the rest of the movie. style of Archimedes, yeah, exactly. Mm.
2: Yeah, I, I mean that that is there. That is there. Don't get me wrong. The, and and i quite like the idea that it's set at the, the the end of the nazi project you know and that they're trying to basically run away with all the treasures and stuff that's quite fun you know because we've previously seen in d before the nazis came to power you know they were being horrible but it was before the war that was all on the horizon really and then we get to see that the end of that the book end which is quite good but it's the execution of it that that is my pro- that is the problem i mean i don't like the de-aging I think I'm with Spielberg on that. I still don't think the technology's there I, I don't know if it'll ever be there, honestly, but it's still
1: It's not as bad as the Irishman.
2: I don't know I think it worked better in the irishman the what the one I think the one I think
0: I think the Irishman worked thematically, but we're not getting into that discussion either. well the one
2: argue. no well the one I think was really on Valley was Gemini Man. that one was just weird that film
0: but the four k three d young oh. Will Smith.
2: It's just odd. It was really odd. But I think at points, it's the same here. It's similar here. You know, there's certain smoothing of his face where he'll turn to the camera and it's just, it just doesn't look right. There's just something not quite right about it. I, I mean. thought it was... Now, like, there's different viewpoints on that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was noticeable at all.
2: Um, well, the, the the bit that really stands out is when he's running on top of the train. That's like a sprite from yes. like two thousand and four. Do- that's shocking. I mean, how that got in the
1: movie? What, I I, I that. he's also eighty I years old. I think that's less to do yeah. with the kind of the aging of his face and more to do with there. There is bad CGI. Yeah, in, no, I agree in, with that. I in, agree with that in the yeah. first kind of like ten minutes, along with the good CGI. I think the good CGI is where he's kind of you know sitting there in a chair like when I, I i the big surprise for me was when he wakes up and he's 80 or i guess 70 um in 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 the kind of reality 1969 of the movie. new york and he's in excellent shape but like looks a yes. lot older um yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and and that that's the point isn't it they're trying to snap between Indian is prime and then suddenly click are we're, we're in, he's a, he's in his eldest. We've seen him and I, and, and that's meant to be the juxtaposition, but I just think, I don't know if I would, I think I don't, I don't particularly like the set piece of that opener. I think it's very murky and, glom really as a a sequence
0: i think it's very dark like it's a large part of that is disguising the cgi and making the aging look better i think as andrew said it looks great when he's sitting down and talking maybe it's atmospherically lit and he's interacting and he's delivering those lines Mm. to the victor the spoils and all that sort of stuff it's less convincing when you're watching it in action yeah uh, because the it's shot at night and it's murky um
2: i think so And, and so i i i wasn't sold on it i i i don't know what they could have done instead and i think there's lots of things that they obviously seed in there like you know the antikythera device the volar and all this stuff that's perfectly fine basil etc but i don't know i i i i don't think they needed to go back to to then really
0: um what i don't like about that sequence is that like the movie is ostensibly the movie is a nostalgia project. Um, it is a designed to get people back who love Indiana Jones and to be like, come and see him. Come see one of our last movie stars one last time in a role that he loves and a role that you love. And the movie is ostensibly about how you cannot live in the past. Like, quite literally, that is the conclusion of Indy's arc is basically Helena, him saying, let me live in the past. There's nothing in the present for me. And she punches him in the face and she drags him because she says, you're meant to be here here indie yeah and i unironically love that i know i've been rather harsh on on the movie on this podcast and and that's because i i really did not enjoy the first two hours i do really like the last act and it's because that choice feels like a very firm very conscious rejection of the idea of nostalgia and yeah particularly the idea of nostalgia as has taken root in our culture at the moment, where everything is constantly recycled and we're using CGI to, like, animate all these dead actors for the climax of the flash yeah. so you can remind viewers of like christopher reeve for example or george reeve or nicholas cage's superman all this sort of stuff can be conjured into being by computers you know you bring back the cast of star trek the next generation for star trek picard and act as if no time has passed whatsoever you bring back all the ghostbusters from the 1980s movies and act as if they're the coolest and most important people on the planet and like Pop culture is just saturated with this wave of nostalgia, which, you know, obviously coincides with. Other less pleasant forms of nostalgia that have taken root in popular consciousness, you know, make America great again, evoking this kind of lost and imagined and glorified past when everything was beautiful, and people want to go back to the the ideal of the white picket fences, the stereotype of nineteen fifties America yeah. without acknowledging the the reality of what it was, just want to conjure the image of it, yeah, and I honestly do think that Mangold deserves credit for in this movie setting up that idea of like wanting to return to a nostalgic past and then like rejecting it outright saying you you cannot live in this imaginary world you cannot live in this CGI virtual reality that is some conjuring of an imagined fancy past that makes you feel comfortable because you are scared of the present i i think that's a really important kind of idea for these movies to have or this property to have i think it says something about pop culture i think it says something about the world yeah and there's that disconnect between like what the movie is about thematically and what the movie actually is where that opening 25 minute sequence to me is very disconcerting because it's like no no you, audience member, you can live in the past. And as Andrew said, it's not the past of 1945, it's the past of 1981 reflecting the past of 1945. It's you can go back to watching Harrison Ford as if you are 12 years old watching *Rays of the Lost Ark for the first time. I, I find that disconcerting and I, I find that it, it undermines some of the theme of the movie for me or what I find interesting in the movie.
1: I I feel I feel like the the scene in nineteen sixty nine feels like more of a like I I I think it establishes the theme in 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 terms of having the um uh, the clock ticking kind at the beginning yeah. but like as soon it as it's in nineteen sixty nine you're kind of like okay this is the character. Um, at the point that we're that we're meeting him, and this is kind of like the the uh, the premise, and all of that stuff was just kind of like you know backstory.
0: But I feel like you've had like four movies of backstory. You know who Indiana Jones is. You know you've seen him be young. You don't need to see him be young in this movie. No,
1: but backstory in the context of the plot of this movie. Oh, okay. Where like Sorry. you don't need to have seen the first four movies um, necessarily. And I think the this movie. Possibly works okay without having. Okay, it's it, it's it. Do you know what's very strange? It's it's that that, that you don't have um, uh, Oscar nominated um, uh, sorry, um, I'm forgetting the name of the of the character, um, the one that that young Darren identified with.
0: Oh. K.U. Kwan,
1: a short round. Exactly we don't have short round returning um, <laughs> short round
0: see- somehow never came back like of all the things like of all the nostalgia we brought back Teddy is meant to be short see- round to be fair seeing but, yes. how
1: like he's having such a moment um, yeah
2: well Ma- Mangold was asked about this and he said something to the effect of we were basically filming this at the same time as they were filming everything everywhere every ah. once, and yeah. and so at this point he wasn't that guy you know yeah. he wasn't back in the had had that all happened a bit earlier i think you would absolutely have seen shorty in this a hundred percent i think they would have, even if it was a cameo i think they would have done it yeah definitely
0: well, i mean i think we said with king yeah. of the crystal skull like the solution to keep the problem solving with king of the crystal skull is to make muff short round and that movie instantly gains a star mm. just like lo- and i don't think that's a nostalgia thing i think it's more that K. U. kwan is just a more charming performer than shaya labeouf mm. um mm.
2: But like and they try and give him another short round don't they in this or they certainly give try and give Helena one mm. and it's just he's just not he's just not half as interesting or entertaining I really. like Teddy. I was quite surprised he kept tagging along. He was okay, but he just kept I was like is he is he sticking with them then? Oh, okay, fine. All right. I mean, it's not like with Shorty you just can't imagine Temple of Doom without him in it. It wasn't I, anything like
1: that. I feel the like there's it. probably people at the time who are like you know, like, like with anything, ruining it, it's yeah. kind of like, oh, this short round guy is ruining it. They're making it a kid's movie. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or are, are yeah, like, yeah. what are these Ewoks right. doing there? Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> this is meant to be a serious <laughs> drama for <laughs> adults. Yeah. Um, but, but like, yeah, that is, that's the thing for me where this is kind of a movie that feels like it's talking out both sides of its face where it's trying to have its cake where it's it's a movie about how you can't live in the past and how nostalgia you know is ultimately suffocating and how you need to engage with the present around you which is a great theme and a very interesting theme to work into a movie that is ostensibly a nostalgia bomb but it also feels like the movie works too hard to give you that nostalgia and to like surround you with it and to like play all of the hits like again teddy is short round Mm. he's that precocious young sidekick who is he's less a character of himself than he is a reminder of a character that you saw in an earlier indiana jones movie he's even introduced driving like one of those small cars much Mm. like short round was introduced driving that car in um in sort of temple of doom
2: and and they want Helena essentially to be Marion, don't they? Really, like a di- like not not like with the romantic interest of Indy, but like they want her to be that same kind of sassy, you know, Howard Hawksian kind of, you know, broad, if you like, um, just with that sixties, you know, shot of mercurial, you know, na- nature, and and it, it it just feels like they're just trying to repeat some of these character tropes.
1: Did people agree that she was good? I I thought Phoebe Waller was excellent. In
2: in in places, in places, I don't think she's a leading action star at all. Uh, I think I don't think the film
0: wants her to be like I th- I think my maybe problem not. I with,
1: thought she was comfortable.
0: No, oh I I think Is she that, had good rapport with Harrison Ford. I don't think she felt out of
1: place um which I which I wasn't expecting. I w- I was thinking that it would it would be mm. bizarre to like uh, as much as I like her but to see Fleabag in um in Indiana Jones movie and to be doing as much kind of like action and chasing around and uh, stunts and to things. have
0: as large a role as she does. Yeah, yeah. I I think for me the problem with that Character and it's a problem with the character, it's not a problem with Waller Bridge. I think Waller Bridge, I think like Mangold, Waller Bridge understands the assignment and does everything that is asked of her very, very well. This again feels like one of those over corrections from King of the Crystal Skull, where King of the Crystal Skull kind of very forcefully goes, Ah, maybe there's another generation of Indiana Jones character, maybe Mutt can take over the mantle. Um, and I feel like Dial of Destiny is very careful to make it clear to everybody watching that helena will never be replacing don't worry she is a secondary lead here she is not replacing indiana jones she is a supporting character in this narrative even though she's also the character who kind of incites the plot and the character who drives the action she's still secondary
1: she's found family as well which i think is is kind of what this and every other movie is about
0: (laughs) ever is about but but again that 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 feels like the course correction from um from crystal skull where mutt isn't found family mutt is family, yeah, but it's that thing where it makes having a kid makes a character seem old. And we talked like in pop culture, it's the way that it works, where like Superman having kids makes him old, so they they reboot and erase them. Spider Man having a daughter makes him seem old, so they erase her from continuity. Spider Man being married makes him seem old and unrelatable to readers. Uh, ironically, readers who are now older than him and married with, and want the fantasy of being footloose and fancy with here. this
1: ring, ID the web.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> well done Andrew. Well done. that's very good. Yeah. Um, Isn't that an actual but,
1: sound? That I is thought, an actual yeah. that
0: is an actual title of a comic book. Yes. Um but like it it really does feel like this like that's the thing where Crystal Skull kind of like blundered Godzilla style. Like, Godzilla-style through model Tokyo, um, through these big themes and ideas of, like, what it is for Indiana Jones to get old, what it is to have a life of regret, what it is to come face-to-face with a woman who you abandoned and broke her heart and to deal with the consequences of that, what it is to deal with a child that you abandoned and never raised and therefore face responsibility for. Dial of Destiny does all of those things, but much gentler and much less threateningly and much more carefully attuned to the idea that doing it might upset fans so helena shaw isn't his actual daughter she's his goddaughter so Mm. him not being there for her isn't really a failing like as much as she might go if only there were somebody specifically anointed for the task what is a godfather anyway that's not what a godfather's role is so it doesn't seem like a failure that he abandoned her Marion only appears in the movie in the final couple of minutes, so you don't have that rat a tat back and forth of, well, look, you abandoned me and you left me an unmarried mother with this child that I had to raise by myself, thank you. Like, it does feel like Dial of Destiny is doing all the same things that Crystal Skull did, but just gentler and less threateningly, and to me, less interestingly? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe I'm just being grumpy.
2: No, 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 no. Well, I, I don't know. And this is the thing, though. I mean, I, I really think films like this need to settle with us, and I think we need to. And you've seen it a few times, Darren. Obviously, so you know, you'll have more of an insight in some ways to a lot of the beats than I do, having seen it once. But I still think passage of time really makes a difference, particularly yeah. with pop culture movies like this. You know, look, look at how how we feel a little bit more about Crystal Skull. Now mm. I know I'm not saying I'm not saying everyone loves it because that's not true. But there's definitely the view viewpoint has shifted. You know the the way films are made is not the same as they were made even in 2008. Now and we're now, we're able to see that film through a slightly different prism. Yeah, There's every possibility it will be exactly the same with Dial of Destiny that in 10 15 years we might look at this and go actually that works I'd, that works quite well. That's an interesting thing. You know
1: I'd agree with that. I I think like more people will probably go back and watch this. Or even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, than say 2014's Robocop. Obligatory like, <laughs> Robocop. reference. <laughs> RoboCop. Yeah. Well played, Andrew. Well played.
0: I was not expecting yeah. it. I admire it. I had no. expected. Um, I, I I think I think there is <laughs> something to talk about this. <laughs> they are tough we talked about this with uh, Crystal Skull where there is this interesting generational divide like people who watched the original Indiana Jones trilogy and then watched Crystal Skull tended to hate Crystal Skull whereas people who came to there being four Indiana Jones movies and watching them in one block as a singular object tend to be more comfortable with Crystal Skull than the people who had already internalized what the idea of an Indiana Jones movie was and maybe it will be the same for this can I can I ask, okay, so Tony and Andrew, just want to throw this one to you guys. People talk about, like, the idea of Indiana Jones as being Harrison Ford, and the idea that it will always be Harrison Ford, and, like, Harrison Ford in interviews has been like, you know, when I'm gone, Indy's gone. That's it. That's the end of the line.
1: I f- feel like they should give it to Alden Ehrenreich <laughs> Just
0: to balance it <laughs> out. Um, just... I like it. But... <laughs> And and Kathleen Kennedy's. Been... I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> Can you imagine the internet's reaction to that? But like we I think generally speaking, there is at least a passive acceptance of that. I think like maybe there will be an Indiana Jones reboot in when Harrison Ford dies. Maybe we'll we'll do Chris Pratt is is Idaho Smith or something like that. Some sort of version of it. But like I find it weird that we're like, okay, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, he owns the character, but we're all okay with there being no Lucas and Spielberg here. That like Lucas and Spielberg who were like the guiding force for the first four movies, when we did those four episodes we had a recurring corner, The Ballad of Steve and George, which charted their relationship through the movies you can look at any of those movies and see where those two men were at that point in their lives and their relationship to one another and how that's reflected in the text and like I found it weird watching Dial of Destiny and having none of that sense of personality or personal connection there but I'm worried that's just me being a film nerd Tony Andrew is like is is it fair to say that Indiana Jones is more Ford than Spielberg and Lucas or you know are is that perhaps dismissive to, to Spielberg and Lucas
1: I think it it, it, I... it is I part of all three of them like I I, I don't feel mm. like um the fact that Spielberg and Lucas I th- I I I I think the fact that this is a an Indiana Jones movie that has uh, Lucas and Spielberg in the backseat, not taking a, a a major role in this um and and that it's still an Indiana Jones movie makes it a a Harrison Ford franchise which which yeah. which is odd um
2: I think there's an argument that Ford edges it yeah. on the basis of, had Tom Selleck been cast, I don't think we would be sitting here today doing this. I, I, I don't see it. I, you know, and, and, I think-
0: and not just because Bluebirds wouldn't give him the time off to film this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting, Selleck. though, because it, the the sense in which I feel that Harrison Ford, while he's good, that he's also kind of lucky... In the sense of kind of being uh, like from American Graffiti to Star Wars to another huge um, George franchise. The uh, uh, fr- thing, uh, fr-
2: thing is, he's, he's he's never been the greatest actor in the world. No, but he's he's got such charisma on screen that he can take you. He can take you with him. Like it, 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 you can put him in so many different kind of roles, and it, he will take you with him because he's just got um, a charisma about him and an expression and a way he does things and it is similar to Sean Connery you know which is why that that they worked so well in the last crusade they they were able to take you with them and i think that's one of the reasons why i think i've no faith to go back to the original question that disney won't make more indiana jones films when ford lucas and spielberg have died i've no faith in them whatsoever they will 100% find a way to try and bring this back because there is a branding to this that even if this film doesn't hasn't done very well there is a branding to this and there is a a conceptual idea about the Indiana Jones world that they think will appeal if they do it in a certain way and if they get the right actor in and they get the right demographic if they make him
0: young again absolutely well they were looking at a streaming series there were like before the movie yeah. released and before the box office came in there was talk of like a Disney plus streaming show
1: yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Like they, they already did that in the '90s with Young and, Indiana Jones. Yeah, but that I, was that
0: was George Lucas's mm-hmm. baby. That, like George Lucas was all over that.
1: I, 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 thought that was like quite enjoyable. I used to really like that show.
2: Yeah, like, it was good fun. That yeah, mm-hmm. but you, but you won't, you won't find it will never. Much like the original inspirations for so many of these characters or the original incarnations of them, it will never quite be the same. You know, Connery is Bond is a good example. It will never quite be the same performance, but I definitely don't think it ends with Harrison Ford, Spielberg and Lucas, however much they might wish that's the case. But I think- I don't see that happening.
0: And, and the difference obviously between Indiana Jones and James Bond or even Batman or any Spider-Man or any number of roles that have been recast is that like- Those are all based on existing intellectual property. The Bond, you know, are based on the Ian Fleming books, Spider-Man and Batman are comic book characters, etc. Indiana Jones is a pastiche of, like, things that interested, like, Spielberg and Lucas. It's Mm -hmm. Alan Quartermain. It's those classic 1930s and 1940s adventure serials. Kind of synthesized into something that, like, fascinates these two extremely nerdy film directors from the 1970s. And, like... My worry is that, like, as soon as you lose Spielberg and Lucas, it goes from being a pastiche of things that interest Spielberg and Lucas. uh, What, like, friend of the show Scott Mendelssohn describes as, like, rip-off, don't remake. uh, Where you take a bunch of stuff that already exists, throw it in a blender, and you end up with something that is, you know, if not new and, like... Original, quote unquote, but is at least fresh and exciting. Star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. might be the hidden fortress in outer space meets Buck Rogers, but it's still something that is novel of itself. And instead you end up with things that are just cannibalizing what already exists, where like modern Star Wars stuff isn't ripping off Akira Kurosawa, it's just ripping off Star Wars. Yeah. Or like this, I would argue, Dial of Destiny is not like ripping off 1940s adventure serials, it's ripping off four previous Indiana Jones movies. Yeah,
1: and... I I think that's a very good point. And I I think, like, if you're going to make a Batman movie, rip off Heat or rip off Blade Mm -hmm. Runner or... Or
0: Seven even, yeah, like, to pick the more recent example, like, to, to do something that is relatively new or interesting with the property. And, like, when you separate Dial of Destiny from Lucas and Spielberg, my worry is that it just becomes, well, here's a bunch of Indiana Jones stuff which we recognize from the 4 Indiana Jones I don't know, movies.
1: I I I think it depends on who who you get and what kind of Fair. uh liberty you give them to do what they want to do. Because, like mm. I I I I feel like um I mean some people really like the Rian Johnson uh, Star Wars movie, the the uh, last, last Jedi. Jedi. yeah. But it, I I I don't feel watching it like Rian Johnson got to do what he wanted to do. Oh, interesting. Um well, it just just from watching other Rian Johnson
0: movies, I feel like that was the last time before and or anybody got to do what they wanted to do on a Star Wars project. <laughs> just Wars from Star.
1: watching his other movies and thinking, kind of like it just doesn't feel like like. And you you compare like um say Brick to um Poker Knives things, Out so. or yeah. Knives Out, and it's the sense in which it's the same kind of um person behind them and that that same sort of like uh, creativity and somebody doing view, yeah. yeah something that they enjoy um versus kind of you know being given like a very big gig and and just being okay. kind of told what to do with it um uh, yeah
0: like I, 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 I would disagree with that, but we do not have time to go into. No, it. I know you like that movie more.
1: It, ju- it just doesn't feel like a Ryan Johnson movie in, 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 in like not in the way that say, um,
0: the brothers Bloom or like or- maybe oh. the
1: Batman felt like more of a Matt Reeves movie or,
0: I don't know, or the the Batman movies are kind of Christopher Nolan movies. Um, do you want to talk very briefly about like Voller and and kind of stuff and the because I I do think. One of the really interesting things the movie does, and I don't think it delves into it as well as it might, is the kind of whole Operation Paperclip of it—the mm. idea that there are Nazis in 1969, which is a very clever way of, like that that aspect of the script I like because that's the it's bit
1: the same thing that Avengers does
0: with Hydra, where it's kind of but not really Nazis, yeah,
1: sort of thing,
0: is it? Yeah, um, I mean, Red Skull is
1: is is Voller, yeah. Mm
0: where I I give the mo- this movie just a little bit more credit cause, and I know like there's a whole big debate about Nazis in indiana jones and whether it's an accurate or tasteful portrayal it is not like the banality of evil it's not not a-
1: only that but you have toby jones <laughs>
0: <laughs> you also do have toby jones you reunite like linking the two movies together this time he's playing a good guy to be clear um yeah, Baz, yeah. But a, a,
1: a, 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 like supposedly good guy who goes like a bit uh, <laughs> a, a bit bonkers a, a bit bonkers yeah yeah
0: But I I, I think here you get away, here I think at least does it a bit better because it it understands that, like, fascism is to a certain extent a politics of nostalgia, where it's this idea of, like, looking back on an imagined path. Again, fascist coming from the bundle of rods laid before the Roman Empire, that's the etymology of the term. But the idea of, like, there was this imagined perfect past that you could make America great again or make somewhere great again. You could go back to the past and you could
1: traditionalism it's a yes. denial of of
0: progress
1: and wanting yeah. to kind of um uh, return almost to the middle ages
0: yes um and and kind of like the and again the myth that the that the nazis had about germany in the first world war the stabbed in the back myth the idea that like our great soldiers were betrayed by our leadership i love that faller takes that idea to its logical extreme by applying it to nazism where it's like no no you didn't win the war hitler lost it because the great german nation was so entitled to win Mm. that it was such a perfect machine that the only way it could have lost was because the fuhrer sabotaged it not that the institution itself was corrupt not the ideology itself was so fundamentally flawed it was this one person in this one position of power and if you change that you can change everything
1: well you see you see that in russia now with like brigosin yeah. kind of Putin. railing against um uh, uh, the ministry but, of defense yeah yeah
0: and and claiming like it's the leadership that are failing russia that he doesn't disagree with the war say he disagrees with the people who are making yeah. the decisions
1: yeah and that's the that's the frightening thing about that whole situation is that you don't expect uh there to be like you know a, a liberal uprising <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Well, that he's a neo-Nazi. That's the thing with.
1: You think what whatever replaces Putin would be worse? It's probably going
0: to be worse. Yeah, like he is literally a neo-Nazi. Um, in terms of like his language and the way that he phrases things. So, like, I I actually think that part of the movie is very, very, very well observed. Like, I think much like the kind of Jewish revenge fantasy of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the kind of that the way that movie focuses on the hollowness of fascist iconography or the hollowness of. Yeah, fascist ideology maybe not iconography but ideology i think there is something here with that but i i do think the movie kind of bungles the the operation paperclip stuff so i want to throw to tony as as an expert on the x-files as somebody who is very familiar perhaps with operation paperclip through that lens what did you make of the the kind of like voller slash brawn character uh, in this movie
2: yeah because he is he is basically like a Verne von Braun, isn't he the you know and and the the Operation Paperclip was, for anyone who doesn't know, it was a a project by the Americans to bring over Nazi scientists to help develop. uh, Well, ultimately, they they factored into helping them win the space race and getting people on the moon, which is why it's quite key that Voller is is here now at this point doing what he's doing, because the fruits of his labors are happening all around them. I think, I suppose the trade-off, It's. it's a, I mean, it's fascinating. And, and like you say, the X-Files has dealt with it. Various other things in popular culture have dealt with this over the years. But it does feel like they could have done more with that in the way that, to use Crystal Skull as an example again, they do at least go into some backstory and some lore about the fact that Indy was involved with the Roswell incident and there's a little bit about, you know, the Area 51. They get into a little bit of the Arcanum with aliens and,
0: and the, the... But even in Crystal Skull, you have like him being blacklisted. He's interrogated by the FBI and he loses his job as a result of McCarthyism.
2: Yeah, exactly. That the, All that little political undercurrent is there. And granted, they, they don't do a ton of stuff with it. But the central core of Spalco's plan in that film... Is directly linked to the, you know, the 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 American red fear, you know, the communist fear of we will take over your minds, we will infiltrate you. She literally does that speech, you know, Kate Blanchett doing her (laughs) Greta Garbo thing, and she's saying to Indy, she uses the Crystal Skull, we will take over your minds, and this guy, that is that is so B movie American fear, like it's great, it's really good. This is the bit that people miss that that stuff is there in Crystal Skull. By the way, I don't know if it's here with Vola. Just you know?
0: like while we're talking about Kate Blanchett, she has the same haircut as Spielberg's mother. Like, it's so fascinating to watch <laughs> The Fable. <laughs> oh, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, to yeah. watch The Fablemans oh, God, and yeah. then notice how much of like Spielberg's yeah. childhood is in those movies. Like the moment where like Marion Ravenwood comes home with the monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is an event from Spielberg's childhood where his mother came mm-hmm. home with a monkey one day.
2: To, to quote... Uh, austin powers paging dr freud <laughs> yeah uh, um, but that's so okay <laughs> uh, but yeah so i don't know i don't know if vola quite has I, I agree i think there's an interesting character there and i think the set the setup is interesting i would have happily had more scenes like the really quite under your skin one where the black yes. waiter comes into yes. the hotel room that was great that was really good because you you got that horrible undercurrent and the the waiter understood what Vola was essentially saying and that was excellent you know I would have happily had a bit more of that in there but they kind (laughs) of they don't necessarily get a little bit more into the into the 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 wider mythology around Vola that would have made this a little bit more interesting
1: I I love that he's like I'm I'm a I'm a regular American scientist. I work in Arizona. I like apple pie, <laughs> um, and I al- <laughs> I also think that Germany shouldn't have lost the war. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <Yeah. innocuous. laughs> yeah.
0: One of my favorite moments is like when they're in the plane and they're taking off, and he's having his little miniature breakdown over continental drift. He screams the line at the top of his lungs. I will not go back to Alabama. Um,
1: (laughs) Oh, yes, it was Alabama. Yeah, the fate
0: worse than death is this Nazi having to live out his existence in Alabama as, like, a university professor teaching Americans. Um, Like, I... Sorry, go ahead there, Andrew.
1: No, it's just that... that, Forrest Gump, <laughs> uh, probably um, uh, was, was uh, being taught by Voller.
0: <laughs> yeah, that probably explains a lot about his view of those strange men wearing capes and masks. <laughs> I I do get the sense that this, again, this is a movie that feels like it went through several revisions and several edits. Like, the Kleber character played by Boyd Holbrook is fascinating to me who is the henchman kind of goon guy his number one muscle guy who's played by Holbrook who is a obviously he's a Mangold regular he appeared previously in Logan where he played a very similar role the obligatory Mangold scuzzy blonde scumbum second antagonist notably played by other luminaries such as Jake Busey in Identity but also Ben Foster in 310 to Humor, where there's this kind of character who is pathetic but also dangerous um, and like watching the movie it feels like there's more stuff with Clayber that kind of gets cut out where the movie's like uh, he, he doesn't work for the CIA, he doesn't work for the government he doesn't have a government job
1: but he works for the because professor.
0: he works for the professor while carrying a firearm and like executing people in broad daylight and giving orders like he when they get to the roof he's the guy who shouts fan out. He's a
1: contractor
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I I find like I it's so interesting. And again, it has come out how, that like how first...
1: how would someone get a gun if they weren't in like in the yeah, police it... or the CIA?
0: In in America, God forbid, particularly in the nineteen sixties, those laws are so strict and so rigorous. But I, I mean that is okay, well, according to Holbrook, the character was originally meant to be German, and he was the guy who came up with the idea of well, he should be American. I want to play him as like an American hick. So the implication is that maybe he's a Klansman, mm. perhaps? I get that kind of vibe. Yeah. Um- Cause that's he, interesting he kind of mm. plays him with his very heavy Kentucky accent as well and there's this interesting back and forth with like is it Shawnette Renee Wilson's character Mason who's the actual mm. government agent the African American woman and she's said that there was a lot of stuff that was cut out from the movie because it made her feel uncomfortable she talked to, there was more stuff with herself and with Klaber that was cut out of the movie and she she asked for it to be cut out because it she didn't feel comfortable doing it and Mangold kind of listened to her and part of me is like, I do feel like that stuff is kind of the stuff that is missing where it's like, just to be clear, Kleber is 110% a neo-Nazi mm. and is 110% an American neo-Nazi in 1969 who kind of thinks this Nazi professor is like onto some good stuff here. But it it oddly feels like mm. there's like, you can kind of intuit all of that from the movie, but it just, it's so odd structured around it where you're like what is this guy's deal why is everybody did did you
1: get you you just said it though you can intuit all of that from the movie i don't think the the movie forgets to um uh, hint at who he is and what he's about right
0: okay all right um tony anything you want to talk about there anything we haven't discussed or anything jumping out at you with regards Um, to not really
2: no i think we've covered covered a lot really to be honest um nothing leaps out no all right andrew anything you want to say anything we haven't discussed already andrew andrew has he fallen through a fissure
0: in time Uh, he's fallen through a fissure in time by the way, I do love that the, uh, the the movie that this is closest to in James Mangold's filmography isn't Logan. You would assume it would be Logan because it's an yeah. aging actor returning to a classic iconic role for one last swan song, but it is not. The movie in James Mangold's cinemat- filmography that this most closely resembles is Kate and Leopold because it uses the exact <laughs> same time travel dynamic. Um, the idea of like... Fishers in time, um, the idea of like traveling back and forth through time. Listeners, we appear to have lost Andrew, so I think that is a cue for us to kind of wrap up here, unless he comes he, back. He, he is in the, currently fighting the Battle of Syracuse, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> I'm gonna have to go through, punch him in the face, and drag him back. He is, he's meant to be here, Andrew. You're meant to be here. Just very quickly, usual business that we run through on this podcast. Uh, inappropriate smoking. I do like that Voller smokes. It comes up repeatedly. There are several moments in the film where he's seen, he doesn't smoke that much on camera, but he's often seen like ending a cigarette or putting out a cigarette or throwing a cigarette away, which feels like Mangold kind of negotiating with Disney about how much smoking he can show on screen. Mm. It obviously becomes a big deal uh, when Helena uses his cigarette to light the dynamite. Um, to blow up that Mm. Uh, by the way one of the strangest tonal moments in the film is the bit where they are riding away from the sinking ship with the nazis on it and she's like i always say when you're in a tight spot dynamite and indy's like one of my friends just died and she's like yeah oh oh, sorry now can we do some exposition (laughs) please um it's such a strange
2: tonal moment i know i found that i was like oh okay i, felt, I mean i suppose you, you were supposed to be in helena's shoes and be a bit like oh sorry that was in a but yeah it's really it's odd
0: <laughs> but then it jumps right from that to exposition is the thing it's like it's no less tasteful for you to go um sorry but go Sorry, no then. no
2: no just just that it reminded me of when you would have really awkward comedy in crystal skull You know, which which is and and just lines that just didn't work and didn't (laughs) land properly. And there's lots of there's lots of examples in that film of that kind of stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons people dislike it. So yeah, it was it was just that kind of jarring. And to be fair, Dial of Destiny didn't. Even though some of the plotting doesn't work, and like you know we've we've talked about script wise, I think it holds together much better than the Crystal Skull in terms of the interactions and some of that awkwardness. Um, But this was an example of yeah where. Strange, strange.
0: There, there are like a couple of moments where it does feel like the script is over, kind of egging itself. or the moment where he gives Baz the gun, and he's like, "Shoot him!" and Baz shoots Indy instead, and Indy says, "Not me." Or there's the moment where like they figure out the Lance is fake. Yeah. And you have like Voller comes in, and is like, "I have to tell you something about the Lance." Uh, sorry, my Mads mickelson impression is awful. I apologize. <laughs> but they they cut to Indy looking at the Lance, going, "It's fake." And then they cut back to Voller, and Voller says, it's fake. And it's like, no, the way you do that is you cut to Indy saying it's fake, and then you cut to Kurtzman as the Nazi going, it's fake. Mm. Like, you don't Mm. need that additional cut in there. But that's me just being pedantic. Little things. Well, I
1: I think you're you're trying to get across there that he's a wordy match for um, Indy. That they're the only two on the train.
0: Who are smart enough to realize the landscape? Yeah. How
2: was how was the Battle of Syracuse, Andy? <laughs> You're just back.
0: <laughs> I am just just back.
2: We said you'd fallen through a fissure in time <laughs>
0: for a little while. And yeah. yeah, and then the only other phone thing died in device. spite
1: of being plugged in. Wow, um, <laughs> it
0: was
1: just how how much heat we were. Generating. Uh, that's a
0: signal to a wrap up, if ever there was one. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if ever there if ever there was one, the only other thing. To, <laughs> the only other thing to mention is food waste Um, where I think that like Teddy doesn't finish his ice cream cone when he's attacked by Huwak when he goes and he wanders down to the docks he sees the boats. he sees that lovely man with the face of a gentleman child murderer and backs away I think he very clearly drops the ice cream cone so he doesn't so. finish it unfortunately Um, mm. alright then Andrew anything you want to talk about the movie anything we haven't discussed already anything jumping out at you uh, let me very
1: quickly have a look I'm also like very up for uh, wrapping up. I was wondering. <laughs> um, uh, I am. I got the sense that they were speaking modern Greek, but may may they. I've. Le- I had been learning. I didn't spend. I'd. I d- i do not know ancient Greek very well. I did start learning it, but I, I think I did a bit more modern Greek. I got the sense that they were speaking modern Greek. To Archimedes, who who I don't think would have understood that,
0: but that was just. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but and that was clearly the most strange thing about his day. Yeah, that was clearly yeah. the one thing. It's like those people <laughs> who showed up on the beach—they're pretty pretty normal guys, but they they had this weird dialect. Yeah, no, but no, but
1: it, it would have been very very different. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, no, yeah, I'm Being it right. would have been like somebody speaking Chaucer, or not even. Um, yeah. So, uh, Somebody speaking Dutch to us, I guess. Um, But um, it's not even worth mentioning. I am (laughs) curious whether I'm wrong about that, though, and whether they are actually speaking ancient Greek.
0: um, Well, it is not Latin. I know it's not Latin because somebody who speaks Latin who saw it. And they're like, the Romans do speak Latin, and that is correct, but the Greeks do not.
1: Yeah, no, uh, Archimedes is speaking Greek. I just thought it was modern Greek um, because I could recognize some of it um uh, yeah
0: all right what we normally do the end podcast is we recommend something for listeners something you're enjoying at the moment it could be something related to the movie that we have just discussed something unrelated just something that brings you joy in these uncertain times so to give tony a chance to think about it i'm gonna ask andrew to go first
1: um i finally watched um alien covenant um and really enjoyed it. Oh, good film. Yeah, um Darren got me uh, Alien Covenant. And uh um, years ago. Yeah, yeah, well la- last year, it feels like longer. But uh, uh Petrina was eventually kind of like, yeah, I do want to watch that now. Um, um <laughs> we watched it and it was it was, it was, it was, it was great and it's a, it's another kind of like an old 80s franchise. Um, which still, I think, has life in us and is doing very interesting things. And I think Ridley Scott's um, a terrific...
0: It's also quite similar to this in that it feels like a movie that is navigating its obligations to the studio and to fans with what it wants to do creatively. Where like the thing about Covenant is that it feels like Scott wanted to make a Prometheus sequel. Yeah. And Fox wanted him to make an alien prequel. So he did. So both. It, it is this weirdly passive aggressive yeah, that's it. It's kind of passive aggressive where it's like, okay, there are two aliens. I'm going full James Cameron. There's gonna be a load lifter on here. There's gonna be a mm-hmm. face hugger, but it's gonna come out backwards and wrong. Yeah, it's kind of it's a very interesting movie,
1: and and I I think it feeds into kind of a theme that we've touched on when we spoke about Guardians of the Galaxy, which is now every movie, which is like the the, you know it's
0: a lot of like it's about its own making.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but it's it it's about like a, a post Christian kind of. Post uh, Oh, okay.
0: Post post <laughs> You mean like Fast X. World. Yeah, you mean like Fast X and like Guardians Volume Three. It is. Yeah, it is actually to be fair about killing God. Yeah. In a very literal sense. And as a But
1: it, it, and and also replacing God, which is which is yes. which is what the villains in these movies tend to do. And that the the real kind of meaning and purpose comes from um uh, like people um uh, coming together. Yeah. Um, but that, but that, that Alien Covenant is a much bleaker movie. Because, yes, yeah. the
0: ending of that movie is incredible. Um, yeah. I, without getting into spores the ending of that movie is incredible. I do. Have you have you watched uh, Ridley Scott's Exodus? have not, okay, because. This is the thing where Darren does that thing that you hate, where I'm going to recommend say, you know what the real trilogy here is, Andrew? It's three seemingly unrelated movies from the same director, (laughs) but where it's like Prometheus, Exodus and Alien Covenant are this fascinating study of like Ridley Scott's relationship to the idea of God. Mm. And without getting too personal, I think it's very telling that they were made after the suicide of his brother. Um, I think that they're perhaps informed in some way by that um and i think he's been quite candid that a lot of his work is obviously involved and shaped by that but like they are movies about the idea of man's relationship to god and it being very complicated and unsettling and uncomfortable so i would recommend that sorry but go ahead sorry sorry to
1: and um i would recommend a james mangold movie that i watched last night and this morning it's a terrible way to start a one's uh, day is uh, Copland it's um <laughs> like a re- really kind it's of yeah yeah it's a great film it's f- fantastic really upsetting but yeah. uh, <laughs> like um
0: As somebody you don't like scorsese movies that's that's the thing that i don't like no
1: yeah it 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 <laughs> it, it, it is a scorsese movie essentially yeah. and it has all of the like scuzzy kind of, like, guys but and it's got everybody from the sopranos
0: that's it. it it is the missing link between good between goodfellas and the sopranos it's like half and half yeah which is interesting
1: yeah, yeah. no it's um, it's terrific and um, it's it's got a fantastic climax um, yes sylvester stallone's there being quite good maybe he's
0: one of his best roles, since, yeah, like the first, since Rocky, outside of the Rocky franchise, maybe one of his best roles,
1: probably. And and the character makes kind of yes. uh, a lot of sense because it, the, the, yeah, it, it it it's very kind of it's very compelling. And I also watched Passing the uh, Rebecca. Is that Hall the black and white movie. Rebecca Hall? Yes, movie, yeah, right? yeah. With, With um Johnson, isn't it? Exactly, um, and Rude yeah. I I I enjoyed that quite a bit. It's a movie about um, well, the central characters are two black women, and one of whom is 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 passing for white, and I like Rebecca Hall a lot as an uh, actor, and I look forward to her making more movies, more like interesting uh, movies, because cause that's what Passing was. It was very I I
0: I thought it was very well made, um yeah. And Tony, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Well, I will give you one. A film
2: that I've revisited because I'm uh, starting a new podcast because, you know, I haven't got enough of them called At the Movies <laughs> in the 90s, which is going to be what it says in the tin, basically. Uh, all about 90s movies. And you both have a standard... Are you
0: giving a thumbs up and thumbs down rating? <laughs> I <time?
2: laughs> probably should, shouldn't I, really? That's a good idea. But you, bo- you both have a standard invitation to appear on this, of course. But... um the first episode is going to be about Robert Zemeckis's Contact from 1997. Oh. Um, I love that film. It's an unashamed, like, 90s, like, nostalgia hit for me. And and I'm sort of going into nostalgia waters with this podcast, really, and sort of tapping into a lot of these films, either that I love or ones that I haven't seen for a long time. Um, and uh, I, I'd seen Contact relatively recently, a few years but every time I watch it, I always have a great time with that. You know, this is Jodie Foster looking for aliens. Uh, Matthew
0: McConaughey as well.
2: Great cast. You know, um, Angela Bassett's in there.
0: James um, Woods playing a creepy uh, character. You know what I mean? Shocker. So, yeah, yeah, so against type. Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> 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 just, just, just a really, really great supporting cast. And it, it, it's it's... I think it keeps on the right side of sentimentality, but it's also got spectacle. It's got an incredible score by um, Alan Silvestri. So yeah, I, I, I've I've been recently lapping that up. So that that a podcast on that is coming shortly from me. So oh, um,
0: fantastic!
2: You'll hear me go into more detail on that.
0: So keep in contact about that one, Tony.
2: Yeah, they uh, go. See what I did there?
0: Yeah, uh, mm. see what I did there? So 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 laboured. <laughs> um, not the years, it's the mileage, and you will certainly feel yeah. every last one of those miles. <laughs> but yes and then for myself i would just recommend taking a trip through the filmography of like james bangold which i did in the lead up to this i think he is a stunning director he's the kind of director we don't see anymore he is this wonderful workman like kind of like studio studio kind of filmmaker where so many of his contemporaries became brands onto themselves so like obviously wes anderson quentin tarantino christopher nolan All these directors who, like, when Tarantino makes a Western, it's still a Tarantino movie. When Christopher Nolan makes a superhero movie, it's still a Nolan movie. Whereas Mangold is that kind of classic breed of filmmaker where he is a chameleon. He has his recurring motifs. Every one of his movies is secretly a Western. Yes, including Kate and Leopold. Uh, He does like his scuzzy blonde scumbum secondary antagonist, as we mentioned in this this episode. But, like, he is willing
1: to... It's Jason Patrick... In uh, <laughs> in Kaplan, I guess Robert Patrick. Robert, Robert Patrick, Patrick not Jason yet. Patrick,
0: <laughs> <laughs> with 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 frosted tips, um, <laughs> but. But like, yeah, he he does, um, he does does a remarkable job of shifting his style and serving the movie. And he has this incredible filmography, which is remarkably consistent, where I think this is maybe his second worst movie, and I still don't think this is a bad movie. So I would recommend watching as many of those movies as you can. But if you can only jump the highlights... I'm going to second Andrew's recommendation of Copland. I think that's his second best movie. It's a stunning piece of work. The best of the Scorsese knockoffs of the 1990s. Identity, which is notable for being a like 90-minute adaptation of the spoof script from Adaptation, um, which is just incredible. It should not work, but it does. A fantastic ensemble, a good old throwback to the serial killer like murder mystery kind of like fad of the 2000s. Uh, 310 to Yuma. Which is notable for being one of those waves of kind of like two thousands revisionist westerns, but isn't actually revisionist. It is just a straight up western. I, it's one of the last. Sorry,
1: I have to know what his worst movie is.
0: Uh, his worst movie is heavy. His 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 okay. His first movie is his his, his debut. His debut because that's the one where it's like he's making a Sundance indie, and a Sundance indie requires you to have a very strong sensibility, and I don't think he does. Like, if you're... Ma- it's it's the kind of thing where you need to make a calling card film and go, that is... Like, Bottle Rocket is a Wes Anderson movie. Following is a Christopher Nolan movie. Heavy is, is a, like, a Sundance indie movie where it's about what if a guy was fat is basically the premise of the movie. It's like, Pruitt Taylor-Vince is a short-order cook um, who, like, falls in love with a waitress played by Liv Tyler. And it's like, what if a fat dude was in love with a hot babe and how uncomfortable would that be for everybody involved? Um, And I'm like, maybe there's a good version of this movie, but it feels a little bit too much like a parody of what a film festival movie is. Um, But yeah, so I would recommend, yeah, 310 to Yuma, and then Logan and Ford versus Ferrari. Um, Those are all great movies if you want to take a a run through those. All right, Tony, what are you at? Where are you up to? Where can we find you?
2: Well, the best place to get me really and see what, I'm doing on various different fronts is uh Linktree these days. So linktr.ee forward slash AJ Blackwriter, and you'll find uh, the social media platforms I'm on, uh podcasts I'm doing, books I'm writing, all Ooh. that jazz. So that's the best collective hub for me.
0: And I know you have a book coming up about unmade Star Trek, which will be available later this year. But what is your most recent book and where can we find it? Where can mm. we order
2: it. Well, my most recent one that came out. Last year was called The Cinematic Connery, the films of Sir Sean Connery, which uh, has been out since last October. So that's all about Connery. There is a little bit of Last Crusade conversation, obviously, in that book. Um, there is also, as you mentioned, Lost Federations, the unmade, unofficial unmade history of Star Trek. So that's going through all of the Star Trek projects that were never made, whether on television or movies. Um, so that was a lot of fun, going through all that, all that detail right up to the present day. Um, so that's coming out in October and i'm currently working on we have to go back the unofficial story of lost so the tv show lost so i'm uh, currently th- uh, three seasons deep in a a really big lost <laughs> binge um which is which is just as you'd imagine absolutely frying my noodle um so uh but i i love that show and it's been great fun already to talk to certain people uh, in the show and hopefully more more to come as well so that will be out next hopefully next september to tie into 20 years since lost started so um so yeah those are the big things i'm up to right now
0: that is fantastic and it it's a workload that puts myself to shame i only have one question after hearing that which is why didn't you call the sean connery book great scott the cinematic comic. <laughs> Andrew is winning. Because that would have been worse. (laughs) That is a fair point. Andrew, 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 Andrew takes the point there. That's that's a better
2: answer than I could have given, to be fair.
0: (laughs) All sure. right. Um you can follow us. We're on Twitter, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, um at the 250. Just give us a Google. We're assuming you're listening to the podcast. You probably know where to find us. Um if you did enjoy this episode, if you have enjoyed previous uh, Indiana Summer or Independence Day episodes, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe. It helps get the podcast in front of people. Maybe um,
1: we'll do a sixth one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do love the idea. <laughs> which, <yeah. laughs> um we'll 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 start working through the, uh, what's it? The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. The Young Indiana Jones (laughs) Chronicles episode by episode. That'll be...
1: 2025's um, Alden Ehrenreich. um, Indiana (laughs) Indiana Jones reboot.
0: Untitled Indiana Jones reboot. Yeah. Um, All right, we'll be back in two weeks, because we are fortnightly over the summer. With any luck, we will be covering either Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, if that comes into the list, and... Andrew is looking at me because he knows what I'm about to say next. Joan of Arc, uh, the classic silent movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, which we definitely have edited, definitely have ended, and we're just waiting for an opportunity to release any opportunity whatsoever. But we'll be back in two weeks. Take care, guys. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Thank you.